We may have only reviewed movies for the first six months of the year, but it's time to round up all 12 months of the year. These are the top 10 movies of 2018. I'm Mike. And we're back, baby. And this is Popscorn. on the Fallon Entertainment Movie Review Podcast and today we are discussing the top 10 movies of 2018 of which we didn't really cover that much well no real life got in the way yeah a lot of real life a lot's happened in this year not only have we gotten a number of sort of like tentpole movies but also our lives have yeah. changed a lot we've both moved house yeah Did, no you didn't move jobs this year I moved jobs you this year you moved jobs this year yeah it's um, been a massive massive shift in our lives yeah we're now sat in the new Fortress Guttridge yeah the the, the temporary for, not temporary the permanent Fortress Guttridge yes this is um, the one we're still in the kitchen yeah because traditions yeah things never change um, and yes there's going to be some um some slight changes going forward on the slide, but we'll talk about that in a different podcast. Yeah. Um, today, though, we felt the need to honour our, uh, let's say, lifelong, that's a lie. I think we've done three of these, potentially four have, of potentially these. Potentially four. I think we may have started in 2014, so this might be our fourth. That works. And we didn't want to miss it, so here is our best films of the year list. Uh, both me and Michael have put together uh, top ten lists. Uh, and we're going to go through, uh, we'll talk about all the other films that haven't made the list as well. We'll go through it in chronological order. Uh, but as tradition dictates, mm-hmm. we need to start off with the big long list of every film we didn't watch this year. Bear in mind, we actually watched a lot of different movies this year individually. Yeah. So we've crossed a lot off the list, probably more than we normally do. But there's a whole heap of movies we didn't get to see. And of course, with some royalty-free music as a bed. Here we go. And Michael will start that bed now. And here we go. All the Money in the World, Darkest Hour, Insidious, The Last Key, Downsizing, Maze Runner, The Death Cure, Roman J. Israel, Esquire, Fifty Shades Freed, Ladybird, Game Night, Peter Rabbit, A Wrinkle in Time, Pacific Rim Uprising, Blockers, Isle of Dogs, A Quiet Place, Death Wish, Rampage, I Feel Pretty, Life of the Party, <laughs> Sherlock Gnomes, Hereditary, Sicario 2, Soldado, The First Purge, Skyscraper, Escape Plan 2, Hotel Artemis, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, Mission Impossible Fallout, Hotel Transylvania 3, A Monster Vacation, Teen Titans Go, To The Movies, The Meg, Christopher Robin, The Equalizer 2, The Spy Who Dumped Me, Alpha, The Happy Time Murders, The Predator, Crazy Rich Asians, A Star Is Born, Johnny English Strikes Again, First Man, The Nutcracker in the Four Realms, The Grinch, Mary Poppins Returns, Annihilation, Slender Man, and Red Sparrow. I feel pretty rampage, might be the best one I'm, I'm thinking about there. <laughs> that was a lot. Yeah, there's... Well, this is the thing. There's been a lot of movies trying to compete to be the big movie this year, and... Um, Unfortunately, we can't get around to all of them. Even if we did a movie a week, we mm-hmm. wouldn't have we wouldn't have gotten through everything we've seen, and then all these guys on the list. Yeah, it's again considering all the real world stuff we have to do. I think we've actually made a pretty good effort this year. We've done all right, even though like I mean, luckily it's whilst we were on our six months hiatus while life happened, mm. um, we we did actually get to see quite a lot of films because we had a lot more. Sort of free time. I have evening free time now, Darren. This is phenomenal. <laughs> no, I, I mean, for Michael. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, 
There was only one month I didn't go to the cinema in, mm. which is better, I think, than last year. I think there was two or three months I didn't go to the cinema last year. Um, and like you said at the top of the show, we've got a more varied top ten list this year. Because there's quite a few things on my list you haven't even seen. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing vice versa. Uh, yeah, I would probably say so, yeah. Okay, but before we get to those, uh, we're just going to give a quick shout out to some of the other movies we saw this year that didn't make the top ten. Mm-hmm. Um, so I saw, I actually saw one of the Oscar noms. You did? Uh, I saw quite a few of the Oscar noms this year, actually. Okay. interesting. Um, so I saw three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Don't get what all the hype was about, really. Fair enough. Did you see it? I did see it. Right. It has made my list, I'm not going to lie to you. Okay. All I can think of is the CGI deer. Yeah, that was the, a bit of a weird, uh, weird turn in that film. The needlessly CGI deer was apparently the only thing I can remember. It was the first movie I saw this year. So uh, forgive me if I don't have the most uh, crystal clear memory of it. But yeah, it was just really rampantly okay. But considering the other Oscar noms I saw this year, I also saw The Post in January. Yeah, that's not making anybody's list. No, also very rampantly okay. Mm. It was a very flat story. Now, Evie Missouri is not a flat story. It just It's quite tonally aggressive. It will just switch to being like almost an out-and-out comedy at points and then go back to ultra-serious, dour, revenge movie. Yeah, it, I do understand why, why maybe that didn't gel with you as much. It, it did with me. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna see how far I did get up that list. I think mm. it might surprise you. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought it was good, but but we'll more about that later. Okay. Um, now, is there anything early on in the year you want to throw on the poll, Michael? Um, um, early on in the year, mm. we're talking sort of January. Releases. Yeah, January, February, March. Yeah. Uh, I can't really think of anything specifically. Okay. I mainly watched the Oscar noms in the early early months. To be honest well, with you, I have to save one of them mm-hmm. for later. Um, now, one that didn't get an Oscar nom. It got one or two. In fact, I think it picked up the Best Supporting Actress one. Mm. But I thought it should have done a lot better. It was I, Tonya. Yes, I, Tonya. Really good. I forgot that that released so early this year. That is also on my list. Oh, good. Okay. We're we're steadily knocking things off my list, which is always Sorry. (laughs) It's really good. Yeah. It didn't make the cut for my top ten, unfortunately. But how uh, Margot Robbie didn't get nominated for Best Actress, let alone win the goddamn thing, because she deserved to. Mm. Everyone in that cast is, is really, really good. Um, I didn't even actually much care for Alison Jennings' part. Mm. Like, some of the absurd things were quite funny, but compared to Margot Robbie, I was like, there's there's no real comparison here. No, she's, she was fantastic. She's ama- the bit in the mirror where she's applying the makeup yeah. and trying to smile. Oh, my God. It's really good. And it made the Winter Soldier a belly. <laughs> to a dumb belly, yeah. no less. Real good. Uh, Tomb Raider didn't make the list. No. Uh, I, I didn't better. see it good. We're getting there. We're better getting than, close. Yeah, better than Angelina Jolie's rendition. But the, the plot's kind of all over the shop. And it just, again, does this really quick ramp into mythological stuff. Now, the Tomb Raider games do do that. Especially mm. that one, because it, it's trying to be gritty realistic. It is. Tomb Raider, and then all of a sudden, oh, there's a Japanese death goddess or something like that. To be fair, that does happen in the reboot game as well. I get so. that. I get that. But in movies, it was just a bit more of a jarring... Because you haven't had eight hours to kind of build up to the mythicism. You've had 45 minutes. Yeah, I get yeah. There's there's a, there's a some cute jokes here and there. She gets the Desert Eagles off the end, off of uh, Nick Frost of all people. Nick Frost's in the film. Yeah, very, very, like, small cameo role. He's basically a pawnbroker. Yeah. Um, but she picks up the Desert Eagle and says, do you have two of them? Oh. Uh, uh, 
I like that. I see what you did there. Um, Love, Simon was another unexpected one. I didn't get in. round to it. And I'm really annoyed I didn't. Really, really annoyed I didn't. Really good. Um, a really strong performance from someone I really hated. <laughs> I, uh, it's it's what's his face from Jurassic World. Uh, the older brother from Jurassic World. Oh. Who is awful um, in that oh, movie. Oh, no. I don't know his name. I don't know. Uh, I'll figure it out in a second. That guy. Uh, really bad in Jurassic World. Terrible. Really, really likeable in this. It was. It did sit on the top ten for a little while. It eventually got beaten out, uh, which is sad. But um, it's, uh, if you've got time, do go and watch it. There was another one on Netflix as well. Um, uh, for all the boys I've loved before. That got some really, really bad press. I liked it. Wow, okay, fair I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, it didn't, it didn't even get a sniff of the top ten, but as far as Netflix original movies goes, I've but, seen some very bad ones, okay. and that was not one of them. Well, that's interesting. Give that a look in if you can. Anything, Michael? I'm trying to get... <laughs> trying I to kind get of did throw this, this on web, you. This website, wow. right there, it's not working. We should have talked about this. Tell you what, I'll ramble through mine. Okay. And if you've seen any of them... Just latch on up. there, Maggle. It always nice. And then uh, off we go. Um, so, Ocean's 8. I didn't see this. However, Caroline did see this. Yeah. Um, she reckoned it was a really good movie. Really enjoyed it. Mm. I mean, it's... It doesn't have anything in the way of problems. But I mean that, like, within the plot. Everything goes off without a hitch. Mm. And in a heist movie, you kind of need it to be a bit ramshackle. There needs to be a sense of jeopardy. Yeah. And and moreover, it's not the, the all-female reboot I think we wanted. No. Um, I actually I re-listened to a preview for 2018, mm. and I was completely talking out my ass Because I said that Julia Roberts was the lead, not Sandra Bullock, mm. um, who is Danny Ocean's sister. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, only one person... Oh, wait, no. I think two people cameo in this Yeah. Uh, from Ocean's um, Eleven... The, the Chinese acrobat one is one of them, nice. so I'm happy that he's back. <laughs> um, but George Clooney doesn't, which is a bit sad. It's a shame. Um, it's, it's fine, but it, it doesn't have any of the magic of Ocean's Eleven. And like I said, the plot just, the heist just goes off. It just happens. It just works. It's just a scene. You're sitting there the whole time going, well, something's going to have to go wrong. No, they just did it. Mm. I was like, oh, so they're just better than the men? Because they had quite a few things go wrong. Or at yeah. least they made you think they'd gone wrong. And then there's a big switcheroo at the end of like, oh no, it's worked. I just think that, I mean, it's the impression that I got from the pre-release material is that they've, they, they've sort of steered away from the more campy elements. They've made it a bit more cut and dry, we're professionals sort yeah. of vibe. And that's not, that's not as charming. It's not as charming as the, the con men who are, you know, slightly past it. And yeah. the plans aren't working as well <laughs> as they used to. Rihanna as a hacker is... Yeah, sorry, no. Wow. <laughs> wow, okay. Uh, if that's what you want to go with. I also saw Tag. Apparently Watch I picked Tag. I did. I thought it looked fun. Mm. And we had a relatively quiet weekend. So I was like, well, we can probably get it for cheap. It went on a Sunday night. We got it for cheap. Mm. And it was okay. Mm. It wasn't bad. I, I thought it was going to be Jeremy Renner being cool. And the tag sequences when they happen are quite funny. Yeah. But there's it, it reminds me a bit of fanboys. There's a right. needlessly grim subplot tacked onto the For whole God's thing. Sake. Again, revolving around cancer. And I was like, is this necessary? There's been a lot of cancer movies this year. I mean, mm. not as many as the year with Fault in Our Stars. No, but, but uh, cancer's in right now. Yeah. So, it's the hip-happening thing. <laughs> there is that. Um, turns out I picked the wrong... Slightly adult comedy to watch that weekend because Game Night was out at Urbane the same time. And that, and apparently, Game Night's really good. That reviewed really well, but yeah. unfortunately, it's on our big list of things we didn't see. Yeah, so I went with Tag instead. Oh, well. Whoops. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, you know, we make some miscalculations. Now, this 
is there's two big ones here that maybe could have made the list. Mm-hmm. I'd say they're in the top 15 alongside Itonia, and two more I'm not going to mention until we got to a top 10. Fair enough. Uh, Ant Man and the Wasp did not make the top 10. Mine got, yeah, that got knocked out of my top 10 quite recently. Like, it was another of those MCU perfectly okay, enjoyable 2 0 movies that you almost completely forget about straight after. Yeah. I could not tell you the plot. I don't know, there were a lot of good sequences, but I, I thought it suffered from a weak villain problem, which most of the Marvel sequels do, save for Captain America the Winter Soldier. Yep. Uh, it suffered from, well, we, we've come out in such a close proximity to Infinity War that this feels almost inconsequential. Yeah. And it doesn't, just the whole jeopardy of, we we think Janet's alive is solved very quickly. Yeah. Really quick. Again, it's, it leaned on its spectacle a lot more than character and plot like the first one really had in droves. Mm. And that's to its detriment. And it does feel like, yeah, the, the, it has the unfortunate problem. Now, Captain Marvel being a new superhero and taking place well before Infinity War means she can kind of breathe on her own. The kind yeah. of cloud of Infinity War over the top of this one really didn't help it. Because you're just like, at any point, you're like, well, it has to tie in at some point. And mm. I think that nagging question kind of ruined it. I may like it more when I get to see it a second time round. But yeah, it just it wasn't troubling the top ten. It definitely wasn't a movie that... And unlike a lot of its MCU counterparts, it's not a film that I think really warrants repeated viewings. No. With Infinity War, it's kind of like, you need a few watches to yeah. to really, you know, settle in how many cogs are whirring at the same time, really take in the spectacle and appreciate the finer details. Ant-Man's just, it's a popcorn flick. And it's yeah. it's kind of degenerative to the sense of superhero movies, which I think, although the review is pending, it's the same sort of story that I think we're getting with Aquaman. Yeah. But... You know, we'll come to that when we re- review Aquaman at some point. Yeah, uh, another one that came out in August that I didn't think I would have time to go and check out, but frankly I did, was Black Klansman. You saw it, yes. I did see Black Klansman. You're steadily knocking my list down. Yeah, sorry, mate. It's fine. <laughs> it was it it was on there for a it while. Did, oh, it didn't make your list. It didn't make the list. I am surprised because it was very good. I liked it. I did like it quite a bit. It was funny. Mm-hmm. Quite poignant at the end. I like the kind of jarring switch to, oh, you thought this was all over in the 70s. Nah. Yeah. Nah, it really wasn't. Uh, good, strong cast. I think this like might be Adam Driver's best performance. I really, really enjoyed it. It's up Adam there. Driver. Yeah. I know you really like him in... Um, Star Wars. Well, Star Wars. No, the other one with uh, Chang Tatum. Uh, Logan Lucky. Logan Lucky. There yes, he go. was brilliant. <laughs> Cauliflower. Yeah. Oh, it's never getting Cauliflower. old. It's never getting old. It, it, everyone was really good in this. Mm. Even Topher Grace, who had previously <laughs> wrote off, was like, oh, Topher Grace. But now he's, now he's playing he's, yeah. um, David Duke. All in. Well done, mate. Those conversations between um, the uh, between David Duke and I've forgotten his name. Ron. Ron, Ron Stallworth. That's Ron Stallworth. That's the one. Um, were just some of the best scenes. Of the oh, movie. yeah. don't Scene by scene, this probably should warrant a top 10 place. Mm. I had I opened I left a slot open at the bottom number ten for indie hit of the year because mm. I felt like we can't just have blockbusters have it in the entire top ten. It was beaten out by something else that was I liked slightly more. Yeah, hopefully you haven't seen it. We'll mention that in a second. Yeah. Um, in fact, it came out in the same month as this movie, but I will not mention it now. Uh, Venom. Yeah. Was it as bad as I was thought it was going to be? It, it's one of those movies I'm extremely conflicted on. Uh, mm. Since we're doing honourable mentions, are we also doing honourable? Dishonourable mention, yes. sorry. Okay, well, Venom has been a dishonourable mention for me since the second I got out of it. Because okay. it's... 
What really makes me angry about Venom is that it's not spectacularly awful so that I can write it off. Right. And it's not so bad it's good that I can enjoy it. Mm. It is so inept with such a good core idea that it really boils my piss. It's just... It's like the, there's, there are moments where this movie really shines. Like, yeah. the interaction between Venom and really Eddie Brock is... I'm like... I can listen to this, but then, like, it lets... In every scene, there's something I go, now, this is starting to look and sound like a movie that I'm really enjoying. Yeah. And then it let, lets down, because a supporting character walks in, the plot has a stupid contrivance. Oh, no, it's time for the big CGI fight. The end fights are fucking Oh, mess. it's awful. It, it is, is truly so awful. so bad. It's also very strange they've tried to cast Venom as, like, a loser symbiote. Yeah, that's not, that's not on. No, I, the interaction was funny, but I did feel it's detrimental to us ever having a venom, a scary venom again, because yeah. like he's like this kind of weird, slightly creepy um, symbiote that wants Eddie Brock to get back with his girlfriend in a very strange plot twist near the end. Yeah, well, um, it's not even near the end. It's like about fifteen minutes of Venom talking to Brock. He's like, "Oh no, I like Earth now. Guess I'll stay." Yeah, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Now, I did say it was going to be the worst idea in the long-sad history of bad ideas. Mm. It wasn't that. No, and that's and, what's shocking. And um, I will admit, the post credit scene yeah. was really good. Yeah, I think Woody Harrelson is a great choice <laughs> to play that character. Yeah. Um, he was never going to trouble the top ten. No. Not at all. I, th- I thought that it had... Well, that's a lie. I didn't think it would have potential. I'm surprised at what was in there, mm. and I'm disappointed by the vast majority of it, but it's... I can't, in my heart of hearts, call it the worst movie I've seen. I've seen. I've seen this year. Right, but it's not a write-off, and that's no. frustrating as shit. Uh, right now, we're going to play through in sequence three of my uh, honourable, dishonourable mentions. I even. see. Sorry, they all came out in a row. Right. Uh, starting with Slaughterhouse Rules. Haven't seen it. Easily disappointment of the year. Really? Because you see that cast. Yeah. And you think Michael right. Sheen and Simon Pegg and just and Nick Frost Nick in Frost. there as well. You've got the guy from. Um, Oh, Peaky Blinders, who's, who's seen pretty good in that. No, no, no. Um, the, the main guy in Slaughterhouse, the, oh, okay. the school kid, he's... Oh, I see. Um, he's like the cousin of the Peaky Blinders main people. Okay. Um, so he was in there, and he had uh, Asa Butterfield from uh, Ender's Game in mm-hmm. there as well, playing this kind of foppish but slightly anarchic school kid. Mm. And it was about aliens taking over at school. The premise was really good, and all the trailers were really good, but he had no hype behind it. No. They weren't pushing it really, and then it just came out. And then that was right it. Right next to Halloween. I was like, huh. And I went and watched it. Do you intend to watch it? And do you need me to give... How much C- would you like me to give Certainly away? not before the year's out. So okay. You can talk I'll talk it. a little bit about it. Turns out this is actually an anti-fracking propaganda piece. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Yeah. That is Why? the main thrust of this, is that it's against fracking. Uh... That is absent from all the trailers and isn't mentioned but it, basically fracking creates a portal to hell which unleashes all these monsters oh come on and it's just not funny enough they like, could have just made a campy demon headmaster movie and it would have been I know fine. I know but it's like really cryptingly unfunny and again it's got some like really grisly subplots that are just not necessary it mm. really could be a stupid horror comedy mm. like Shaun of the Dead but it just doesn't have it in it and I think they kind of knew what they had in their hands. It's not bad. Don't get me wrong. It's just, it's very disappointing for what it could have been. Yeah. And and yeah, the whole fracking thing, it's just, it's handled, it's about as subtle as a sledgehammer. 
it's so bad but yeah please tell me they at least use the line frack you I don't think they do I don't think it's that type of movie I want to finish my bad movie checklist there's a really funny subplot that Simon Pegg is heartbroken after breaking up with Margot Robbie because Margot (laughs) Robbie's in this okay but exclusively on a laptop screen from her she's gone like a missionary mission to like (laughs) Ethiopia and she's clearly banging the doctor so that's like a again like Simon Pegg and Margot Robbie and Simon Pegg chose to go back to teaching yeah Simon Pegg nah I'm not saying I wouldn't watch a movie with Simon Pegg and Margot Robbie in it but this one doesn't sound good but in a, in a movie that involves aliens and, and sorry demons and fracking creating a port to hell the most like um, ludicrous thing is that Simon Pegg and Margot Robbie it sounds like the, were Brit- the plot to British Doom it basically is I mean but by all means you might like it more than I did but it just the, the Try to promise something that it really wasn't up to, unfortunately. Mm. Now, you haven't seen Fantastic Beasts, The Crime of Grindelwald. We were on the path to see it, but then Caroline was ill, and they like, ah. you know, we missed it. But I've heard that might be for the betterment. It is. I would like to cut it open. Mm. It is currently sat at second worst film I saw all year, um, because it's just so pointless. <laughs> <laughs> so the opening action scene, when you watch it... Mm. Hopefully you noticed straight away, like I did, that it was completely unnecessary. Not just like I'm talking about, oh, that didn't that was an unnecessary action scene. Literally, it doesn't need to happen. <laughs> Grindelwald is escaping prison, mm. but he had already escaped prison prior to the action scene and then puts himself back in prison for no apparent reason <laughs> just so they could have an action scene. It's so, and that just carries right on fucking through. <laughs> it's not as funny as the first one. Is it wastes Dan Fogler Aww. in a nothing in trying to make his role slightly more serious? Mm. It has the worst like alignment change, the worst heel turn in all of cinema this year for one of the characters that makes no sense yeah. whatsoever. That this character is all of a, all of a sudden gone from like being like quite a nice sweet character and then he's all okay. Oh, with, don't say it's Queenie. I'm not going to say who it is, but I they're all of a sudden happy with Gay Wizard Hitler and what he's doing. <laughs> gay <and> he's <laughs> completely on board with what Grindelwald is doing. <laughs> A-OK, thumbs up for that. <laughs> yeah. It's got about five or six different plot points. So much so there is an entire exposition scene (laughs) that is clearly, it's like all the main characters in a room (laughs) and they all don't like each other, but they all just don't shoot each other on sight so that they can explain (laughs) what's happened in the last two hours so we can go and have a mediocre closing fight. Oh, bloody hell. And Dumbledore's barely in it. Like, all the hype of like, oh, it's new young Albus Dumbledore. No, not really a thing. It's so bad. Do not watch it. Now... On the other side of thing, though, and this was a surprise to me, mm. was Wreck-It Ralph 2, or as I like to call it, Wreck-It Ralph 2, The Orwellian Nightmare. <laughs> because I don't know if it's actually a bad movie. It's just I watched this like I was watching 1948, 84, or whatever it is. Because, <laughs> because it's such like, it just screams corporate synergy oh, more than it does movie. Oh, no. Like, because the jokes aren't like taking the mick out of, because they go into the internet and they're looking at all of the internet. And instead of going, like making like cutting parody jokes or like really kind of going after these big corporations and making that the message, the jokes are just, hey, look, Amazon. So it's so it's basically the Emoji Movie, but done by Disney. Yes, exactly oh, that. Oh, fucking hell. You're, 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 the jokes are just noticing something about eBay mm. or something about Twitter. Oh, look, Twitter is a bunch of birds in a, blue birds in a tree. Just shouting at And when they tweet... A, Tweet pops out of their mouth. Mm, that's it's not comedy. It's 
not comedy. It's not comedy. Does it? Does it do what I think it does, and it ruins the good reputation of uh, of the first Wreck It Ralph? No, I think that was actually a not very earned reputation because I don't think Wreck It Ralph is all that good. Mm. It's fine. I liked enough to go and watch the sequel, but yeah, it's just the Disney princess scene is worthwhile. That's actually quite funny, mm. but like. It just at one point it just it's crammed full of these are all the things we have licenses for. Let's just put them in a movie. Like there's no real like witticism about it. Like literally, Iron Man flies over and they don't make a joke. It's just oh look, there's Iron Man. Oh, oh look, there's Millennium Falcon. She jumps over R two D two at one point, and that's it. And it's just yeah, it's really Orwellian. It's I really didn't like movie. it. Like oh, and they're all together because Amazon's there and Facebook's there and eBay. All of your big corporate friends, you should keep going it because the internet's a great place. Mm. And it's not that inventive. It reminds me most of Inside Out, where it thinks it's been really inventive, but it's not really been funny anymore. No. It's just gone the other way. It thinks it's 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 doing something that's yeah. quite quite intellectual, when really it's just referencing. Yeah, exactly. It's mm. just these are all the things we own. That seems lazy. Yeah. Apparently, some of the early screenings had a, not an apology, mm. but uh, had the creative team being like, "Sorry, you had to wait so long for this to come out. Uh, we've been real hard at it." So basically, it's like. Look, we fucked this up. Yeah, we, we, need, we need to talk to you directly before you watch this. Well, we're very sorry about this, but uh, here you go. Try and have fun. Like, the Disney <laughs> Princess stuff is genuinely quite funny because it's the most they poke fun at themselves. Mm. But it feels like obviously in getting Amazon to sign up for the movie, there was probably a clause where they said, well, you can't take the mickey out of us. Yeah. You've got to make us look awesome. Amazon can't be the villain. Exactly, even though they clearly are the mm. villain. Uh, right, that's everything I saw that didn't make a top ten list, with two exceptions, mm-hmm. which I will mention in a second. Um, is there anything that you saw that you want to mention at this point? I took a gamble on Bad Times at the El Royale mm-hmm. uh, a couple of days ago. Um, here's the thing, though, right? I, I wanted to see Widows as well, um, but Widows and um, Bad Times at the El Royale suffer from the same problem of UK cinemas seem to think that anything that is not a superhero movie, anything that's not a summer blockbuster only gets to play at 10 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And this is getting fucking annoying now because I missed out on a number of good movies because of this. But I made sure I went out of my way to watch Bad, T- Bad Times of the El Royale. And it's it's a movie that is so brilliant that it's frustrating when it falls down. Right. Because it can't... Uh, we're talking about... If we're talking about, like, the cinematography, the shot composition... I mean, Drew Goddard kind of shows his ability to do this in... Um, cabin in the woods where every frame is a painting mm-hmm. and that whole kind of late 50s early 60s you know the you know the inclusion of neon in the signs is a beautiful visual representation of the movie and it makes it paints every shot really well and you've got john ham in there who is giving one of the best performances he's ever given mm-hmm. um jeff bridges is just the most heartbreaking character. He gives a beautiful performance. And I'm going to have to look up her name because I do want to make sure that she gets full credit. There is a character in the movie. Um, I think she's called like Summer Sweet or something like that. Mm-hmm. She's this kind of soul singer that has ended up at the El Royale uh, to uh, just get in between gigs, essentially. Right. She's trying to be a, a soul singer, heading out on her own, and is very much like the only one who's innocent. In, in the entire movie. Right. Uh, Cynthia Eviro. Uh, Erivo, sorry. Erivo. Mm-hmm. Cynthia Erivo, who is brilliant and does half of the movie soundtracks on a goddamn self. Right. The movie makes a lot of use of, of, of period music, but also does a lot of her just singing them. Yep. So there's some really tense scenes where there's no instrumentation, just these, these vocals from Erivo. 
and and just the tension is mounting and mounting and mounting. And there's another brilliant kid in it as well. What's his name? Um, Lewis Pullman plays a character called Mars Miller, who is an extremely sympathetic and lovable character. Unfortunately, it can't make the top list because of the inclusion of Dakota Johnson. Who's that? Uh, if you've seen Fifty Shades of Grey, you'll know her as Anastasia Steele. Oh. Trying to play this character who like walks into the room like a badass and she's right. like rescued her sister from a cult. And it's like... I don't believe Dakota Johnson would do anything like this. And the movie does not give me reason to believe otherwise. In fact, the entire plot of her character and her sister, and to the extension, Chris Hemsworth character, is what really pulls the movie down. It Mm -hmm. pulls it from what could have been a 10 out of 10 down to like a 6. It's it's fucking pointless. The movie's already 2 hours 20. So it's already (laughs) slightly too long for what it's trying to do. Um, Because it can't be this pulpy noir tale whilst also trying to do be this whole like pull down the establishment hippie cult thing that goes literally nowhere like it is the only excuse for the the end are you planning on seeing this movie no okay so the whole shtick is that there's money buried under the floorboards of one of the rooms that's why jeff bridges is there right he wants to reclaim the money um the fbi is monitoring the hotel because they think something shady is going on and there is there's uh one-way mirrors on all the rooms right, okay. and people are being recorded Mm-hmm. And listen to and dodge, which is quick, which is quaint, if nothing else. And you think, oh, maybe they're going to go with this whole "who's really watching them" subplot. And you know, you've got the young kid who's the only member of staff on site, who's mm. you know addicted to heroin and is really scared and trying to absolve for some sort of sin that he's not talking about. And you think this right. is going somewhere. However, here comes Chris Hemsworth with a shirt with his shirt off dancing. Yeah, because this is our third act, ladies and gentlemen. Chris Hemsworth has tied people up and is now playing a roulette wheel to see who's going to shoot. Where was the the monitoring subplot going? Like, <laughs> it's it's fucking annoying. When 90% of the cast are doing the best possible jobs and the story's working really well, but they've crammed in this hippie cult subplot, mm. I am God, God is dead sort of nonsense. Okay. It really pulls the movie down, especially because of how much of a spin the uh, Cabin in the Woods was on its genre. You think, okay, what spin are we getting on this genre, on the film noir? Yeah. The answer is none. Oh. You're not getting one. You're getting the third act of a completely different movie. Oh. And it's really disappointing because I thought it was incredibly beautifully done. It was very stylistically made. The performances are great, but Fifty Shades and Thor ruin it. So there we go. <laughs> hell of a sentence. Though, hell of a sentence. Okay. Well, thank you for listening through that, everybody. It's now time to get to the main event. But first, we have to do the worst of the year. We do. I don't think you're going to like what I've chosen for the worst of the year. Um, I, don't, I don't think you'll even seen my worst well, of the year. Oh, I have a couple of more um, dishonourable mentions. Oh, sorry. We get to that. Do carry on. Bohemian Rhapsody yep. uh, is a dishonourable mention mm-hmm. because of history revisionism. Mm-hmm. Not a fan of that. Okay. <laughs> that is That's a... fine. <laughs> That's how you feel. I went to go and see the movie with, with my girlfriend and her mother. And right. her mother is like one of the biggest Queen fans going. Okay. And... She, and Afterwards, she was like, I'm just really disappointed that things were put out of place in terms of time. Mm-hmm. Reasonings weren't true to life. In a biopic that was already doing so much for the character, the character, quotation marks, yeah. of Freddie Mercury, it felt unnecessary to knock him down and change history to make him look like he'd been knocked down. Right. So, yeah, it was more sort of a, a mistruth problem with that film. That's fine. And, you know, doing your research, you, you see it happening. Because whilst the Live Aid sequence is one of the best sequences of the year, yeah, 
it doesn't save the whole changing of history nonsense. I just mm-hmm. didn't agree with it. On principle, I have to include it here because I hated Hidden Figures for doing the exact same okay. shit. So it's here. And also, Darren, mm. I get to talk about The Bookshop now. The Bookshop? It's a fucking terrible movie. The fuck is The not, Bookshop? It's somehow not my worst. Okay. Right. Okay, so... Oh, I'm going to put my phone down. Here's here the thing, right? Go, here's the thing. Gentlemen. The Bookshop is just a film that arrived with no fucking... Okay. You know, we, we found it on... On a streaming service, I was like, oh, it's a, it's a quaint British movie about a woman who runs a bookshop and Bill Nye's in it, which is great. Okay. It's one of the most dour, sort of mean-hearted films mm. I think I've ever watched. This woman inherits a bookshop and everyone's like, we want to turn it into a... Uh, I, can't rem- I can't even remember into what they were. <laughs> like maybe a calf. I don't know. They wanted okay. to do something with it or like a museum. She's like, no, I'm... Or a pawn shop. I'm going to put... Literally anything. Okay. You can insert whatever the fuck you want in that sentence because it makes that much difference to the plot. Okay. The movie is like an hour and 50 of the entire town being like, we don't want books. Reading's bad. And uh, <laughs> the woman who runs it just slowly getting knocked down yeah. by these mean people slowly slumping into a depression whilst she's got this, uh, this kid working in the shop with yeah. her who she... Gets into books and then Bill Nye broadcasting live from his castle, who doesn't interact with fucking anyone. Okay. It's just you cut to this massive fucking house. It's Bill Nye writing a letter to the owner of the bookshop, like, I really enjoyed the book you sent me. And like, he's the only one keeping it going. But it's like, this was clearly filmed in Bill Nye's house. Right. <laughs> it's like, well, I'll be in the film, but I'm not fucking leaving. No. And it ends with the shop getting burned down. Okay. We don't know who started the fire. Not Billy Joel. We know that much. Damn it. And uh, yeah, just everyone is really horribly miserable by the end of it. Sounds uplifting. It's just. I thought that was building to the woman going crazy and murdering everybody with a encyclopedia. That would have made it a lot more interesting. You could easily kill somebody with that thing. It's just a lot of like dour music and like these wishy washy kind of like trying to talk about life. The narrations right. over the top, like, oh, and trials and tribulations, all this nonsense. Right, right. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> and it's just, it aggravated me so much. It's selling itself as this, like, quaint little British movie. Yeah. And it is just, it's just depression, oh, God. anxiety, set fire to everything. Here's Bill Nye. No, I mean, waffled with War and Peace. Yeah. Damn it. I would have taken the murdering the town with the book yeah. story. That would have been great. But instead, it's just, it's all, like, passive okay. rage, like, passive aggression nonsense. So. It's so mean-spirited. This, this begs the question, what was worse than that? Do you want to do yours? Because I, I need to get psyched up for that. I think you're going to disagree with mine. Let's hear. I just feel like you're the type of person that loved it. My least favourite film of this year mm-hmm. also yep. by happenstance won the Oscar for best picture this year oh no because I'm about to go on a stand okay. against the shape of fucking water <laughs> right right right. I don't know how in any way shape or form a bestiality movie won the won the best Oscar because it doesn't deserve it and I'm not just saying that because it's all grossed out by the fish man no it's not even that it's Abe Sapien pulling Paddington's mom it's not that it's that right it's just like no one in this entire movie's, like, drive and what they want to do with their lives makes sense to me by one person. Like, because they're not... This is not a love story, right? Like, everyone's painted to be, oh, it's a great love story across barriers. Those barriers include not being able to talk to each other properly. 
bonding over potatoes or apples, whatever it is she feeds to it. <laughs> and, like, the, the thing is clearly just in survival mode, right? The sapien, ape sapien, he just wants to live and doesn't want to die in the facility. And this clueless deaf mute woman is the one who's going to help him. So he just does that. And then she gets attracted to this. And then there's that one scene where after she's had sex with Abe Sapien, she goes to describe it to uh, What's-A-Face from... Um, from Hidden Figures. Yeah, from Hidden yeah. Figures. And she describes in great detail how the penis comes out. <laughs> yeah. And her reaction is not to, A, run and scream. <laughs> B, alert the authorities. <laughs> C, put her into a psych ward. It's D, just to go... grow up. <laughs> yeah, it's just to go, poof, men. Like, yeah. no! <laughs> it's her fully loaded all over again. People aren't... <laughs> The people in Herbie Fully Loaded. <laughs> That's the new tagline. That's the new tagline. <laughs> By which I mean, the people in Herbie Fully Loaded don't freak out that the top car can talk and they all just accept it and move on, right? Yeah. In this movie, everyone just accepts. Everybody, by one hero, accepts that, that <laughs> it's just a Michael thing. Shannon that it's hero. just a thing that they're happy that she's having sex with the fish man, right? And then Michael Shannon comes along, and this movie, this movie that's A-OK with bestiality, <laughs> wants you to think that Michael Shannon, who's the only one thinking here, is the bad guy, right? Because he's just like... No, we shouldn't be having sex with the fish man. <laughs> we need to kill the fish man because it's an abomination. Good on you. <laughs> so this is a movie so bad, it made me agree with General Zod. <laughs> I'm just going to say that, right? I have no idea how this bit... I didn't even much care for Free Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. It's a better movie than this. I, Tonya, didn't even get nominated. And it's ten times the fucking movie this piece of shit is. I don't get it. I will never get it. And no. <laughs> I'm happy Guillermo del Toro got some recognition. He, the man deserves it for much other things other than this. <laughs> but I hate this movie with a burning passion and it will never be forgiven. Michael? <sighs> More on that later. Oh, no! <laughs> oh, God, okay. It's my favourite one. No, my worst movie of the year, um, I'm not going to be able to beat that rant, uh, but was also a Oscar-nominated movie. Was it Herbie Fully Loaded? <laughs> <laughs> Shape of Water, it's Herbie fully loaded all over again. <laughs> D. Guttridge, Fallon Statement. <laughs> you know what? They're putting Instagram quotes on the Aquaman poster, so there's no... Yeah. We've passed the pile It there. could happen. Mm-hmm. Let's just say something like unrelated and off-colour about Aquaman, and it might get on the posters. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> it was great. Maybe wet as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on a poster. Um, no, it was a <clears throat> another Oscar-nominated movie that made my worst Go spot on. this year. My worst movie is Phantom Thread. I should have seen this coming. Right. I got dragged to this fucking movie because mm. it's about dressmaking. Yes. What I got was not a film about dressmaking. What I got was a film about serial fucking abuse. Oh. And being okay with it. Oh. This movie is Fifty Shades all over again. Hey. So we've got this fucking... So it's Daniel Day-Lewis's apparently final performance. Okay. Thank fuck. Because... <laughs> Good! Bye! <laughs> this is how the world ends, not with a bang, but with a fucking groan. Yeah. Um, so Daniel Day-Lewis plays this kind of like cantankerous um, uh, dressmaker, like yeah. a world-renowned dressmaker who's making dress for the royals, for the rich and the wealthy, mm. who is constantly having it away with young people Wait. and sodding them off. Lies. Already, I should like this character. How young? 
Um, I mean, if, like dangerous young or not like eighteen? No, we're not. It's not. Pre- it's not Jared from Subway. It's okay. It's like mid twenties, and then Daniel Day Lewis. I do not redact my previous. Well, hey, hey, um, nice. So I need to get the name of the the actress from this movie as well because she's just as fucking bad. So when you're introduced to this character, it's he's just got rid of another lover mm. for reasons because breakfast. It's breakfast. It's that's the perfect time to dump people. Ah. Um, and then he goes off on a drive out and meets this woman. Now, this woman is a new actress. She, I believe this is her first major movie. Mm-hmm. And her name is, when it fucking loads, Vicky Creeps, who plays Alma in this movie. <laughs> Creeps. Creeps? Creeps? Might be... Eh. Uh, something. Crepes. Vicky K. Cool. Who doesn't deserve to act in another movie ever wow. again. Who gives the most monotone, just no emphasis... Completely nothing of a performance. And of course, these two fall in love. Sort of. So, Daniel Day-Lewis' whole thing is like, I'm going to make dresses and you're going to wear them. She's like, this is cool. I've been working in a shitty end diner for God knows how long. And and he's all like, I'm very pernickety about breakfast and also don't sit next to me. It's weird. Mm. What? So there's about... So the movie's too fucking long as it is. It already lasts two hours and ten minutes and you feel every fucking second pass by. It is it is like every second is just another needle sticking into you. I got lost in the movie, not as in a good way. I was sat in the, the electric in Birmingham and I was just looking at the speaker grill. I started counting the holes. Wow. I was that fucking bored. I got to like 48 something like that and I was like, has something, has the scene changed? Nope, still not changed. We're still doing this shit. The, the movie's trying to say this thing about how re, you know, relationships can be troubling and symbiotic and stuff yeah. like that. What it's actually doing is saying, Daniel Day-Lewis hates women so much he needs to be poisoned in order to love them. That is the plot. Oh. It is just, it's, you've got Alma and you've got um, Reynolds, who's the dressmaker. Yep. And he's all like, you should come live with me and we'll do weird freaky sex. But don't talk to me. Don't look at me. Stop doing this. Don't interrupt me during breakfast. I like breakfast. That's the second biggest fucking plot is his movies. I okay. like breakfast. Then about hour and 40 in, because apparently this movie is also being recounted to somebody in a chair that we never fucking see. Okay. She gets some mushrooms from a forest. Doesn't explain where it is in relation to everything else, considering mm-hmm. that it's all focused on these, you know, British countryside yeah, locations. Yeah. And just fucking poisons the shit out of Daniel Day-Lewis, who starts violently throwing up his guts. Yay. And this makes him love her. What?! She, it's this whole, like, oh, he's kind of, he's acting childish. So if you revert him to a childlike state, he'll love you. Let, let's not forget that lesson, ladies and gentlemen. If, if you're having trouble with your partner, if you maybe have some communications issues, if they really, really like breakfast, then you should just poison the fuck out of them and paralyze them for a couple of months. And then everything will be fine. Fair and- entertainment does not endorse this. <laughs> poison your lover. And more importantly, if that doesn't fix it, do it again. The movie literally ends with Daniel Daniel Day-Lewis hunched over the fucking toilet, like taking a shit, hunched over a bucket with, with this album and patting him on the back as the camera pans out of their bathroom and the film fucking ends. That's how he wanted to retire? That's how he wanted to retire. Going out of both ends. <laughs> you want the Elvis finish? Okay. <laughs> it is... It spends so long on just these long sequences of I feel beautiful in the dress, but my boyfriend makes me feel like shit. Mm. Let's continue for the next hour and a half. 
Did you ah. not enjoy the plot threads? There is nothing to enjoy in this film. The fact that people were talking about it like it's some fucking masterpiece. Well, they do, don't they? Any move they don't understand, they just have to presume, oh, it must mean it's fucking There's genius. nothing else to understand. She poisons him, and that's okay. Well, two Oscar nominations for worst movies. We're doing well. We're doing well. We're doing very Fuck well. the Oscars. <laughs> well, we've got no integrity left whatsoever. Let's continue that trend with Yay. our top ten movies of the year. Yay! Now, first of all, I have to mention... Weirdly, what is at number 11 and number 12? No. Two things that didn't make my top 10 include Black Panatha, which is not in the top 10. Same here. And Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Yeah, I didn't think that was ever going to make my list anyway. Uh, Black Panatha was just... (laughs) Black Panatha. It's a spelling mistake I made at work and I've never forgotten it. Uh, Black Panther, again, serially okay movie. Yeah. One of the highest grossing movies of all time now because that's the world we live in. I liked it. I liked what it represented. I'm excited for a sequel. I just thought, outside of the car chase scene, mm. it's just really okay. It is Wakandan Iron Man. Yeah. And the thing is, I've seen Iron Man done three times. Yeah. Possibly more if you're counting some more origin movies. Yeah. I don't need to see it again. Yeah. And I think if it wasn't for me really wanting this one movie on my top ten, it would have been number ten. Mm. It would have made it. And there's some picks that people are going to be really annoyed that I've put above Black Panther, but there we are. And Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, was, it was all right. We didn't do a full-blown review on it, but no. basically my worries weren't... It's not a Jurassic World situation where I was completely wrong. I was only partially wrong mm. in that the, the, kind of, the set pieces are really good. So the volcano blowing up the island bit pretty good. And um, the bit, basically, it's like the haunted house at the end with yeah. the Indoraptor stalking everybody. Basically, resident dinosaur. Yes, but I I rewatched uh, three movies in preparation for this. Jurassic World was the only one I skipped bits. Where it's like, oh, talky, 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 sad um, ethics, and then oh, dinosaur. Okay, we're back on the roll. So that didn't make it. What did make it in its place? In number ten. Yes, it sat at number ten the whole since I watched it. I think I watched it in August. Mm. And it's, it's gone through several rewrites to still be like, no, I want it there because I don't think enough people have seen this. Is it a Power Rangers situation? It, kind of. Okay. But like opposite end of things where I knew that was trash. and what, I really liked this movie and didn't expect to. Did you see the movie called Searching? No, I didn't. Here we go. Let's talk about it. Um, it's the webcam movie. Oh, that With one. John Cho in it. Yes. And I thought, I genuinely thought, it's a Netflix original, Mm. because it just screams Netflix original, because it's entirely done on computer screens. It is mainly webcam, but then they also have, like, TV reports playing on the computer screens, but you are looking out of the computer screen, well, you're just seeing the computer screen and seeing him in the corner, usually, because he's always got his webcam turned Mm. on. Um, It's a quite small cast, it is mainly just John Cho, and it's about his daughter going missing, Um, his wife's dead, and his daughter's basically all he's got, but his, his daughter goes missing... And it's him basically doing um, investigatory stuff. The police aren't really helping, so he's decided to take it on himself, and he's just using the internet and social media to kind of trace what he thinks happens to it. Um, so it's it's really... John Cho does really well in this. Mm. I've always liked him, but this is probably the best performance I've ever seen. I mean, it's quite a lot different from Harold and Kumar and playing um, What's-His-Face in Star Trek. What's his name? Oh. Sulu yes. in Star Trek. It's quite a bit far away from that. And it rises above 99% of other concept movies mm. that have all spawned in the Blair Witch Project's wake over the last 20 years. And that it doesn't, the, the gimmick doesn't hold it back in any way, shape or form. And it really just helps it look a lot different from any other thriller you've ever seen. Yeah. And 
It's really good. It keeps you guessing all the way up to the end. I know that sounds a very cliche line, but it genuinely does. And it has a very, very nice twist at the end mm. that makes you very happy. Um, the one thing that made it stick in my mind the most, though, that my in-depth knowledge of Pokemon spoiled something about this movie, <laughs> right? Now, I will point out in these top ten, we're probably going to go into mild spoilers. If you want to avoid that, that's fine. There are written versions of both of these that will be available on the website in the new year, so do go check those out instead. Um, but there is... Are you intending to watch this movie? I would highly recommend it. It's it's not been high on my list, okay. so feel free. So there's a bit where she, he goes onto an old... It's it's kind of like Twitch, but it's more of a, like a diary thing. Mm. Uh, like a live journal, but it's in the kind of Twitch style. You log on and you live. Okay. Log, you log. Yeah, yeah. So she goes on there and she's like asking like random questions. And she's not particularly popular, but a few people start asking her questions. And this one person popped up called Fish and Chips, even though she's American, um, pops up and says, who's your favourite Pokemon? Because she's got like a Pikachu thing in the wall. Yeah. And I thought she's going to go with Pikachu. For some reason, she says the late Guardian legendary who's in charge of memories. So I can't remember. It's, I think it's... Uxie. Uxie, yeah. Uxie, yeah, but Uxie. it might... It's either Uxie And says, because they can get rid of bad memories. Obviously, she wants to get over the death of her mum. And in a kind of throwaway comment, you see a lot of the comments pop up at the bottom. It says, oh, my favourite's Kecleon. And I was like, the chameleon Pokemon? Mm. Well, they're clearly not who they say they are, so they must have done it, right? Now, that's not entirely true, mm. But it does give away a lot of the plot quite early on. <laughs> now, I think it must be intentional because they must have known people know that's the chameleon Pokemon. So yeah. it's like a knowing nod to those who know. But little do I know that Kecleon would ever spoil a movie for me. <laughs> it doesn't ruin it in any way, shape or form. And it's and again, still not in Pokemon Go. Is it not? No. Oh, of course it isn't. I thought that was going to be the Christmas present this year. No. Or Smeagol. Um So yeah, if you've got a chance, it, it is a bit of a token pick here. And I do think Black Panther's probably on the... Because of the scale of it and everything, it's probably better. Mm. But I really do like this movie and employ you. It will be on Netflix. Yeah. It's inevitably going to end up on Netflix at some point. Go and watch it. Fair enough. My number 10 um, is the only comedy entry on my list. Well, the only out-and-out comedy entry on my list. Uh, Did you see The Death of Stalin? Oh, that was this year. That was like... First week of January. I have seen Death of Stalin. It wouldn't have made the top ten admittedly, but I have seen it. Fair enough. I get to talk about Death of Stalin. Go now, on. Which is great. So I think that the the real gem of um, Death of Stalin is just the cast. Yeah. Right? Steve Buscemi as um, is it Khrushchev or something like yes, that? Yes, he Khrushchev. He's fantastic. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor as Malenkov, who's mm. brilliant. Simon Russell Beale. I didn't really express him to turn up. Uh, expect him to turn up as Beria, but mm. he did. Uh, Michael Palin's in the movie. Yeah. Which is fantastic. They basically just hand-picked a bunch of like older British actors to do to play essentially what is Faulty Towers in the Kremlin. Yeah. And it is fucking phenomenal. But none shined as bright as Jason Isaacs yeah. and Zhukov. Oh my God. <laughs> He's so funny. It's not one of the... Because it had me laughing, but like nobody else was really... Like as yeah, yeah, animated as yeah. animated as as myself in that one. They really stuck out to me. Um, there's some really great performances from other people. So Paddy Considine is it? Yes. who plays the orchestra conductor who's trying to get the record yep. to Stalin. Oh god! And then they had to re-record the entire thing. Yep. And then he's like, "Took took you long enough? Do you fucking walk here?" <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's great. The whole 
farce of the entire situation of just these these yeah. world leaders acting like fucking children. Oh, the funeral scene is amazing. With the with Jeffrey Tam's like slow movement, just slowly rotate around. <laughs> Yeah, it's, fucking hell! It wouldn't have made it, and it probably would have. It's probably the best comedy I have. I don't think I have an eighteen eight comedy this, this year. This year's not been a fantastic year for comedy. A lot of years haven't been good for comedy recently. But what this one succeeds at doing, it's it's just a comedy that's about people. Yeah, it's it's so larger than life in terms of where they stand in the Russian government, their place on the world stage, and it is just de- it is just all around human stupidity mm. and and that kind of the literal foot race for power at one point in the yeah. movie where they're running through the woods trying to be the first one to greet Stalin's daughter it's just it, everything is just it's boiled down to men being stupid yeah. and it is hysterical I've missed parody movies yeah proper fast movies are just That's oh. the beautiful thing is that the thing everything that happens in the death of Stalin is it's not as presented it's clearly being played for yeah, laughs yeah. in that kind of British sensibility of oh someone's doing something funny yeah um, but it's it's all stuff that really happened it's mm. all real world history and it shows you the extremity and the farcical nature of Russia at the time of the fall of communism it's well, I'll say for the fall you know what I mean yeah before it evolved yes um, but it's oh, I just love Steve Buscemi as Khrushchev was really really fucking good as well I can't stress enough how well of an ensemble movie this is just, just go see it. It's, right. it's so good. Ensemble comedies don't get the kind of love they deserve anymore nowadays. Mm-hmm. So to have one that takes something so playfully macabre and changes into something that is genuinely laugh out loud funny, yeah, I think it's a real, real accomplishment. So number ten is Death of Stalin. Good choice. Uh, number nine. Now on rewatch day, as I call this, I rewatched. Uh, in fact, over two days, I rewatched four of these movies. Mm-hmm. It was Black Panther, uh, Jurassic World, this one, and one that comes higher up, just to make sure I wasn't off on anything. Yep. This one admittedly scraped past, but I didn't fast forward anything, so I took that as a good sign. This is Ready Player One. Wow, that is way lower in the list than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, again, I think I'm just coasting off how much better it is than the book. Mm. And you watch those main, the, the big three um, scenes, the, the race, the uh, shining tribute, and then the final battle. Mm. Really, really good. So much better than what is in the book. Yeah. There's no rush. There's no playing in joust. Ten times better. And I think it's just, it's more the relief of seeing that book, like, fully realised. Mm. No, not wrong, playing Spotter Birmingham is always fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, look, it's me work. Um, oh, which it's is, <laughs> You know, you don't get that in Black Panther. No. Um, <laughs> only in this one. So, yeah, it's... I, I know, this is kind of more the Power Rangers pick. Mm. I know the characters are paper-thin stereotypes. And it is, it is played for nothing more, all the real world stuff is done nothing more than that, just to get you back to the video game stuff. Mm. But the video game is game stuff is so well done and so captures the kind of fun and the escapism of doing a video game. I would love nothing more than to play this as a video game, especially that last battle that's kind of charging <laughs> Anorak's castle. is easily, I think, one of my favourite scenes of the year. Really, like, it, it could have gone very, very wrong. Thankfully, Spielberg is there to kind of steer it as best he can through these choppy waters. And it is the best... Uh, video game movie ever made. I'm going to go as far as to say that. Yeah. Um, and the fact we didn't have to see Wade Watts act out Monty Python in its entirety for the final challenge is a plus. And even as a fan of Monty Python, I can tell you that scene in the book is way past old. Oh, Christ. It's awful. It's like, 
you know what? If you want to go and listen to any other podcast where I mention Ready Player One and how shite that book is, feel free. But the movie, perfect. Number nine. Oh, my number nine is yeah. now up. Thing is, we're going to be talking about Ready Player One later on in my list. Ooh. Um, so I'll tell you my thoughts on that in a bit. But for now, I want to talk about Deadpool 2. Wow. I saw a lot of movies that really, really beat Deadpool 2 to the punch this year. Okay. Which is a shame because uh, it is very, 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 very good. My favourite um, superhero couple of um, Ryan Reynolds and Marina Backer in mm. are Backer in this movie. Hey. Um, and, and then And then she dies. And then that's a that's that's yeah. a whole plot thing. Mm-hmm. I think what Deadpool two does right though is is getting its key players in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. So they don't introduce Cable too early. They 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 really do hold off and let Deadpool have his big opening, talking about well fuck Wolverine in that ridiculously overhyped movie. Yep. And let's join the X Men and really cock it up. Um, and then they don't waste Domino. They get her in at the right time, played by Azazi Beats, who is. Mm-hmm. Possibly my favourite character. Her her look-based scenes where she's just power-walking yeah. through the fucking apocalypse happening around her are really beautifully well, well shot. Mm-hmm. Josh Brolin as Cable. It's not Josh Brolin's best performance this year, but it's his second best. Yeah. Because he's having a whale of a time being the ultra-grim badass. And yes, it really plays nicely off Ryan Reynolds being a total dick. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. Uh, Brianna Hildebrand's back as Negus on a Teenage Warhead, who I'm always happy to see. We don't talk about Weasel. No, I don't. We, we can't talk about Weasel. <laughs> Again, rewatching Ready Player One, you just realise we never see who plays I Rock. It's like, oh, that's why. That's that's why. Oh yeah, yeah. Matt Damon's in the movie. So Matt Damon is in the movie <laughs> for like a second. Well, technically, he's in the giant uh, jet plane jumping. Sequence. You mean Brad Pitt, not Matt Damon? No, it's Matt, Matt Damon's in the movie as well. Is he? Brad Pitt's in the plane jumping bit, but Matt Damon's also in the movie. What's he doing? I can't remember who he plays. Oh, he's the hillbilly, isn't he? That's it. It's him and Alan Tudix. Yes, Alan Tudix. That's whoever pronounced it. Also, hi, Yukio. Um, <laughs> but no, the set pieces of Deadpool 2 are, in theory, better than the set pieces in Deadpool 1. Yes. I really enjoy the sort of back and forth nature of Deadpool 1. It's like, here's me being Deadpool. Now let's explain how I got here. Yeah. Here's me being Deadpool again. And let's explain a little bit more about how I got here. And it all flows together. Mm-hmm. Deadpool 2 has... Not doesn't really have that problem because from the off it's I'm Deadpool. Yep. And then we have to go right, but how do we complicate the situation? You obviously you do that with uh, the death of Marina Baccarin's character. Yeah. Um. And and yeah, the rest of the movie is about setting up expectations and then breaking them. Mm-hmm. So the plane jump sequence with Deadpool's X Force and then immediately killing every single one of them off. Yep, that was a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Setting up, are oh, the little kids going to be the final fight? Fuck you, Juggernaut. Yeah. And the Juggernaut fight is spot on. It is. It is so good. So yeah, I really, really wish it could have been higher. Whilst I don't think it's as gre- earth-breakingly, you know, different no. as Deadpool 1 mm-hmm. was. And how that really was a big... We can do the R-rated Marvel movies. It's possible. Now there's the expectation for it to go bigger and better and even more outrageous. And there's no need. No. And this really wasn't more outrageous. It was more of the first movie, which is fine. Yeah. But it's it's just more of the same. It's more of what I like, but I like to be surprised. Yeah. And the surprise in this movie weren't enough to get it higher up the list. But I did have a fun time with it. I get that. Okay. Uh, number eight. Uh, I think the latest... No, not the latest movie I've seen. Uh, Creed 2. Ah. Just about got into the top eight. Now... This is probably the most fanboy pick I have on the entire list, mm. 
just because I know it, it's me on a personal level more than any kind of actually being good. Yeah. But they did the only thing they could do with a Creed sequel, which is they went and got the Dragos. Yep. Um, and they, it is both the best and worst thing about this movie <laughs> is the kind of Drago crutch they lean on because it is essentially a remake of, in the same way that Force Awakens is, if when you think about it for any amount of time, it's just New Hope, yep. beat for beat. This is Rocky Four beat for beat but this time the creed doesn't die yay um literally it is beat for beat they they build up the dragos you shouldn't have this fight but i'm going to beat the black man half to death but this time he doesn't die yippee um but it's fucked um our baby's here oh no responsibilities oh, but i need to finish this uh, we're gonna do it in russia and then final fight, and he wins. And then stop the Cold War, and that's how it happens. Yeah, exactly. So in that way, it's very unimaginative. But on the other hand, it's Rocky Four again. Who doesn't <laughs> love Rocky Four? But this time, Apollo gets to win, kind yeah. of. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's still got really good performances. Mm-hmm. Sylvester Stone's really doing good work again. He's officially retired Rocky. Mm. Um, so minus spoiler alert, he doesn't die, but he's just he's not doing it again. Cool. And, and I'm okay with that. I think they got Rocky to a very nice place at the end of this movie where it feels like, right... He's doing his own thing now. He's, he's, yeah, he's off on one. Mm. And we can now focus on... Cre- I don't know what they do going forward. And this is the thing. I think including Drago means you don't just get he's fighting a random boxer, which is they did in the first one, but they had enough subplots going on there to that was a non-factor. You don't want it to become like the later Rocky movies. Like Rocky Balboa was just about him coming back for me in like an old guy and the boxer didn't mean anything. Tommy Gunn in Rocky Five to the same extent, it's the same thing. Because it's Drago, you obviously you can then instantly you don't need to really build up the Dragos. Ivan Drago's son, I can't remember what his first name is, Drago Two, <laughs> doesn't say a lot. Like he gets a few scenes in Russian mm-hmm. that it seems like, oh he's he's a boxer. He isn't, he's a shaved bear. The man is a fucking fridge with a head on top of it. He's <laughs> huge. Oh my Christ. Um he gets a few scenes in Russia because um, Ivan Drago's wife turns up, which I wasn't expecting because right. she's like a reality show trash bag these days. But she does turn back up and the, the plot line is basically she abandoned them immediately after Rocky IV oh, and left Drago to raise his son in the Ukraine because they had to flee Russia. Fucking hell. And that like gives them a bit of like redemption arc to go on. Obviously, mm. he, he doesn't kill him, so you don't feel as bad. You don't. He's not as vilified as yeah. Ivan is because he doesn't say a lot. He's just kind of this meat bag to go and punish. Um, and yeah, like when they lean on that properly, so you get a really good scene early on where Rocky comes back to Adrian's restaurant and the, the little Latino res- reception is like, there's someone here to see you. And you just see Ivan Drago from behind and you get them having a really tense argument whilst um, Creed's like signing the contract to fight him. Yeah. And Rocky's like, please don't fight him. <laughs> don't want to have a flashback. And they tease like the tail throwing thing of yeah. like, please let it, like, we don't want to see this happen again. Um, yeah, he gets absolutely marmaladed in the first one and has to fight his way back. And that, of course, means we have to get a training montage. Yeah. Now, it's not Rocky Four, which is the high point of training montages <laughs> in cinema, let alone Rocky. They actually go the opposite way. He's in a desert this time, but it's really good. Right. <laughs> and then during the final fight, they don't play um, There's No Easy Way Out, which is, you know, a bit tragic. But halfway through the fight, of course, it's going, hey, you think he's losing, but then he gets his second wind and we get... Dun, 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 and I was in. It gets me as only Rocky movies can get me. And yeah. that's why it's number eight. I know it's not that good and it is really formulaic, mm. but I like the formula, so uh, I was happy with it. That's fair enough. Good stuff. Uh, on my number eight, we, we go to Itonia. 
Oh, which, okay, good. Which I'm very pleased made the list because I, I really after it got snubbed at the Oscars, like you say, there wasn't there wasn't a Margot Robbie nomination. Hey. It wasn't in, was it? It wasn't even in contention for Best Picture. No, was it, it wasn't. Which really fucking surprised yeah, Addison me. Addison Jenny was the only one. I think I think. Um, What's his face? Winter Soldier, whose name Sebastian is... Stan. Sebastian Stan. I think, was up for Best Supporting Actor. Mm. I think. I would call it... It's not a Lego movie level snub where it doesn't get anything. But yeah. in, in terms of how good the film is, to only have so little nominations, yeah. it's, it's disappointing. Because let's not make any bones about it. I, Tonya is the best biopic this year, possibly of the last couple of years. I have to disagree. I know you for do. For reasons that will come up in a minute, but uh, fine. I, I really enjoyed the presentational style of this movie. It's yeah. the... It's the staged interviews mixed in with the actual drama of the film. Mm-hmm. And it really gives impetus to all the characters. It's based on real interviews with these people, which they do that fantastic side-by-side comparison, a la um, The Room and Disaster Artist, yeah. uh, during the end credits, which is fantastic. Because you think some of this cannot be real. This mm-hmm. is not how people act. This is not yep. how people talk. And it is. Oh, with the budgie on the shoulder. Yeah. Oh, my God, it's Just so amazing. Just biting her ear like, fuck, yeah. fuck off. Like, <laughs> Alison Jennings, was it? that name? Jennings, I think. Alison Jennings. Jenny. Her mother. Yeah. Is is a real tragic character in the sense of she's an absolute bitch for Mm -hmm. reasons that do not become apparent for the vast majority of the movie. And it really gives her this kind of like narrative impetus to be almost the villain when the one planning the villainous stuff is some dickhead and his really stupid fat mate. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Again, it's, it's the same kind of reasons that I really loved Death of Star, then it's just the pure incompetence of the characters mm. and how human the farce is that makes it super, super interesting. Yeah. And the the ambition of, of Tanya Harding, played by Margot Robbie, mm. is it's it, it's oddly inspirational and depressing at the same time. Yeah, I like that they really didn't frame her as because most people coming out of the incident framed her as like the villain. Mm. And this one, you kind of left your own devices to make your mind up about that. They give you enough reasons behind what she did. Mm. They don't go, they don't seek, like, the film doesn't make her out to be like, right, you should have sympathy for her, and she's completely innocent in all of this. Again, you're kind of left a bit vague as to how much you really knew what was going on. Yeah. But I like that they gave her, it's more of a tragedy than it is like a villain piece. Yeah. It is. It, it is a tragedy. That's the best way to describe it. And the. The, the thing that really sort of hit home how good the movie was, was the skating sequences. And mm. it, I didn't think it was going to be the thing that really sold it on it for me. I was more so into the, the narrative style and, and the, the larger than life, true to life story. But the skating sequences are shot so well mm. and, and just lit so beautifully. And they, they almost play out like like a big budget action sequence whilst just focusing on a pair of skates. Yeah. And it's that level of just sheer craftsmanship that really got... It was higher up in the list until some things overtook it. Yeah. I thought it was going to be, you know, top five material. Unfortunately, it isn't. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed uh, Itania and the biggest Oscar snub this year, in my opinion. Easily. Um, I'd say that's another top 15 movie, mm. but uh, things had to push it out, up to and including, number seven, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, boy. Again... Uh, I mean, I gather that I, I am. I gather it will be up here. Yeah, I know. I, I know in my heart of hearts, it's revisionist via um, Brian May and, and Taylor, Taylor. Yeah, because they make um, Paul, 
Paul Prenter. They do a real smear job on God, Paul Prenter. God, I know from interviews that they fucking hate him, and mm. Jesus Christ, do they throw him under it the bus It could not here. be more apparent in this He story. has no redeeming features whatsoever. He, he walks in and he may as well have a fucking tail flames yeah. behind him holding a pitchfork. All the reason you don't like Freddie Mercury, up to including him being dead, it's all Paul's fault. <laughs> yeah. That's all you need to know. This is the man that basically gave AIDS to Freddie Mercury. Yep. Uh, like, and, and there's no subtlety nor nuance about it. It's his fault. Blame him. Yep. I think this is more... It got this high on the strength of Rami Malek's performance. Who is phenomenal. Unbelievably good. Yeah. In like, and I don't just mean the singing parts, because there he does really well as well. They kind of... They use the original Queen songs a lot more than mm. I thought they were going to. It's Almost only really, entirely, isn't it? It's only really the Live Aid thing with him singing. Um, but no, like, the Live Aid one is, is audio from Live Aid. Oh, I thought it was him singing. No, it's audio That's from Live Aid. I thought it was so good. Um, but the bit where... It's the bit where he's trying to phone his kind of on and off girlfriend. Mm. And she just you can tell she's slowly like ignoring him. Yeah. It starts to spiral into like being quite lonely. I really like those scenes. And that's when he really felt like, oh no, he's playing Freddie Mercury. Like he's not doing a, a like a half-arsed um, impression that a lot of people can do. He's mm. very famous for this reason. It felt true to life. Yeah. And again, I know it's revisionist history and stuff is out of place. Yeah. But it was funny. Like um, Mike Myers is cameo as the record exec that doesn't exist. Yeah, I know, I know. But it was a, a necessary evil. I like. I love that bit. I love the Live Aid section. It's it's up there. It's probably my favourite scene of the year. The Live Aid section now. was phenomenal. It was really, 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 really good. good. Um, but the thing, like the whole thing of like moving the his diagnosis of AIDS to before Live Aid, yeah. using it as a crutch to get the band back together, and it's not like they were falling out. They were off doing their own things. Roger yeah. Taylor produced so many albums in that time. It's yeah. unreal. Joined other bands. Brian May had his own solo stuff going on. They weren't. This is the thing that annoys me. They weren't falling out. They they just were on hiatus from each other. And yeah, I know. Freddie did have a bit more of a flamboyant lifestyle. Yeah. Who could have known? Mm. But it's just some of the the things in this movie, like some of the the sequences when Freddie's discovering his sexuality are a bit ugly to the sense of yeah. like he'll be on the phone to his girlfriend, all of a sudden men's asses. Yeah. The evil that is men's asses. It's a bit. I just thought it was a bit ugly in places. I couldn't deal with it. I forgive it because Roger Taylor and Brian May had such a heavy hand in it that yeah. I feel like it's like the officially licensed mistelling of the story of Queen. <laughs> yeah. And and again, it is just his performance pulls it through, and it's done well at the. It's now the highest grossing musical biopic of all time already. Fair enough. So it's clearly worked well. Um, and again, I know it's just because I got to listen to Queen songs for two hours and got to pretend that was Freddie Mercury again, but it's here for that reason. But the selection was like the selection of songs, like where was Seven Seas of Rye? You know, where was most of Night of the Opera? Yeah. It's, even this, like the Live Aid stuff is flawless and I can never mm-hmm. poke holes in the Live Aid bit, but... You've also got to remember how troubled the production was. Like, Brian Singer had to leave, like... Yeah, there's another director on. who's uncredited. Yeah. Guess, is that right? And then they brought it forward two months. Dexter Fletcher, is that who? I think it was, yeah, yeah Dexter, Dexter Fletcher. Fletcher. And they brought it forward two months. Yeah. How? Mm. He was in trouble, and yet they went, fuck it, let's throw it out early. And I thought, oh, God, that must be bad. Because I thought they were going to delay it. That Even should... in the preview, I said they're probably going to delay it. Even if it had got delayed into January, February, this, this yep. coming year, I think that would have been the real death knell. But... Mm-hmm. No, it's okay. fine. It's okay. 
there's probably more forgiveness needed later on in this list for one that I might feel may go down badly, but we'll get to that in a minute. Michael, number Speaking seven. Speaking of forgiveness, The mm. Shape of Water's at number seven. Oh, here we go. Right, okay, so we know that Darren famously hates the movie and really? wants to kill the fish man. What yeah. I got from this film was, you know, a beautiful sense of design. I, I think in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, the sets and the costume, everything is is justifiably grubby 50s. Now, I appreciate that there's not a lot of high society represented in this. It is very much the lower classes, the working people, and the design really reflects that. Whilst also really focusing in on some of the more beautiful things. Like, there's a beautiful set of an ice cream parlour where all of the discrimination against gay people happens. It's that antithesis, the the rub against it, the people made to feel as monsters, Mm. that I think really bled into the sort of the design and the narrative. Now, I understand fucking the fish man may have been a step too far. Mm. What I appreciated, though, was the visual storytelling of two people who were afraid and who two people who were outcasts finding a mutual agreement between each other mm-hmm. and a, a dream agreement that turns into an attraction. Because Sally this Hawkins... goes here. Sally <laughs> Hawkins' character is surrounded by people who are felt... who are made to be feeling out of place. Mm-hmm. The, the, the guy who has to masquerade the fact that he's gay. The black woman who gets you know paid less than everybody else and discriminated against. And the fish monster, who mm. is understandably an actual monster. Yeah. But at the same time, the actual design of the monster is super good. Like, the suit design is really, really good. Yeah. It can get a bit uncanny valley sometimes. Mm. Uh, they try to blend the the animatronics with a little bit of CG during the water sequences. Yeah. I don't feel it really works that well. But... It wins it with the imagery, the whole flooding the bathroom, but they're having this beautiful sort of choreographed swim together. Yeah. I thought those sequences were really, really beautiful. And Michael Shannon is brilliant. I, I like the fact that he really fucking hated the fish creature. Hashtag Michael Shannon was right. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, and there was just there was just a charm to it. This indescribable, we're all monsters, but we're all human sort of subtext flowing through mm-hmm. it that in any other movie would have really, really annoyed me. But in a movie that was so careful in its crafting of maybe not fucking the fish monster, but making it believable that we're in a world where this creature exists and we're in a world where these people are able to find common ground with something that is Mm -hmm. so evidently not human. It has traces of Pan's Labyrinth running through. It has traces of, you know, the segregation, the civil rights movement, flowing through it, you know, LGBT oppression running through it. I just thought it was a beautiful, beautiful story between, you know, the outcasts of society. And unfortunately, yes, it was the evil white man that had to shoot everybody at the end. And that ending shot where she grows gills, not sure about that. Yeah. But Mm. if, if a movie has taken me on what is seemingly a stupid idea of woman fucks fish for the two hours runtime and then only kind of goes, well, hang on at the end... I think that's a triumph. I really, really enjoyed it. There, there are a lot of movies doing this whole kind of uh, like 50s, 60s kitsch at the minute, yeah. much like Bad Times at the El Royale. But Del Toro's design and Del Toro's sort of macabre kaiju love stories yeah. are so different and so dynamic compared to what you do get. Where it's just like, we're setting it in the 50s because everyone likes the dresses. No, we're set in the 50s because this is a conceivable time where we can tell a story about people being different. I'm all about it. It's at number seven. 
Okay. Michael's in favour of bestiality as well. Good. I'd fuck that fish. <laughs> uh, okay. Put another posters. Uh, number six for me was Deadpool 2. Uh, it got pushed out of the, the top five at the last minute. Um, again, yeah, I feel... It, it reminds me most of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Mm. Like, the first one was lightning in a bottle. A lot of special things came together to make uh, to make something really work. And this is just more of the same. That's always going to make it a lesser movie. Mm. And I don't feel... I feel like maybe being a bit um, unfair on the movie and just comparing it to the first one. But it's a sequel. What else am I meant to do? Um, it's still funny. It's still, it's still what I, it's, I hope it doesn't go away when Disney buy at Fox. And I think they would be quite stupid if they shit can this and didn't just think, well, the possibilities are never endless if we can then have him pointing meta jokes at us crashing two franchises together. Um, so I hope it didn't go that way. I think it's probably going to be the last good Fox superhero movie. Yeah, Darth Vader is uh, not looking good and New Mutant just keeps uh, getting moved and happen. moved. It isn't It's not coming out, it which is a shame. Um, so I don't really have anything to add other than... <laughs> they have been brave. The posters for New Mutants have gone back up at Dudley Showcase. So it's, Ooh. They think maybe they get... It's not coming out. I would be very out. surprised if it isn't just straight to the Disney streaming service. Mm. Uh, all I want to point out is the best bit is Cher. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, bit, the, the bit where he goes back in time and saves and puts stuff right yeah. is amazing. <laughs> like, I really did feel genuinely giddily happy when he goes and saves Vanessa. Yes. And he's totally calling her kid chair and then jumps backwards through the portal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Did you see the deleted scene? Where he shoots baby Hitler. Strangles baby Hitler. Oh, he strangles baby yeah, Hitler. Yeah. Oh. Um, I'm glad that didn't happen. I'm quite sad that they didn't do... They, I just remember the the very end of the movie where they go back and shoot Barakapur. Yes, they do. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> they so didn't good. get the one cameo wish they had. They wanted Chris Evans mm. as Human Torch. We didn't get that. I'm a bit sad about that. But no, easily number six. It was number five right up until one came out last week and pushed it out. Fair enough. You may know what that is. Mm, I think I do. Uh, my number six is Ready Player One. Yay! Uh, I really, really thinking about it really enjoyed the movie based solely on the, the end sequence. Mm. And whilst I can't be the man who's like, this movie's saving grace is Gundam versus Mechagodzilla. But few things have got me as hyped as Gundam versus Mechagodzilla. You get to say that sentence. Yeah. And, like, and you forgot the Iron Giants also there trying to help it. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's Power Rangers escalation in movie form. It is. It's awesome. Everything is bigger and better. Mm. And it's such an improvement from the book. A book I gave up on. Good. I couldn't get through it. Good. What this film does with the source material is, is a core idea that is so ripe for a movie, but a book that is so laser focused on things Ernest Klein enjoyed about yeah. his upbringing. Mm-hmm. What Spielberg does to that and makes it the more approachable, you know, sort of this is everybody's experience with nostalgia. Yeah. I think is really interesting. And there's the beautiful scenes just chocked full of cameos. Like, I think the ones that are more. Uh, newer, say, like, the use of Tracer from Overwatch. Yeah. Maybe won't date as well. No. But, you know, the big Iron Giant sequences, the yep. Akira bike. Yeah. Um, Borderlands is in there, which is the one I really enjoy. Yeah. Gundams, Me- Mechagodzilla's. The T-Rex, King Kong. The, um, t- the Turtles are in there. Yeah. Which is great. The thing that really hit home with, you know, this being the best video game movie of all time mm. was a sense of of play that is established from the very first scene. Yeah. The sense of this is escapism, like you said, but the, yeah. the race through the King Kong level 
with, with yeah with the Mad Max car and the Back to the Future. I'm like, this is this is exactly how people go into games. They're like, right, yeah. this is my favorite thing, and I am going to represent that favorite thing. Yeah, they've gotten the the mindset of gamers and how that has expanded yeah. to be anybody. Completely right. It, it's. It kind of felt like this is what the world will be like when mobile gaming is accessible through our fucking brains. Yeah. Because that's what it was. Everybody was doing it. Every single person had the headset on, yep. which is mirrored by every single person having the fucking smartphone in their hand. The best... And it was just a hidden... out. Everyone was like, well, this is mental. No one would have all this gear and, you know, all the gear is getting more expensive. Like, this is a future that would never happen, but we don't see the direct parallel yeah. of, you know, fight for the freedom of our online space yeah. that I really, really mm-hmm. enjoyed. More so now that Article 13 and 11 have happened in the European Union. So yeah. that's fun. Uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Fun. We don't do European politics Good on, God this, no. uh, on this podcast. But what I will say is that Ready Player One delivers light, not light heart. It's light hearted, isn't it, I suppose? I mean, there's no real peril, like other than you might get shot. And oh no, corporations may buy the... Thing, but no, it is pretty light-hearted. It doesn't take itself too seriously, frankly. No. It's a modern-day virtual fairy tale. Yeah. And I appreciate that for every little thing it is. It was yeah. one of the biggest upturns of a movie. Because I was dubious going in. Yeah. I was like, this is not, not going to be my cup of tea. The book's not very good. And oh, we end on Mechagodzilla. Who knew the way to do video game movies properly was not to take a video game and turn it into a movie, but just to do a movie about video games. Who knew? Jumanji, Scott Pilgrim, <laughs> yep. Ready Player One. Unbelievable. That's how you do it. Okay, we're into the top five. Now, three of my top five are animated. What is going on? Uh, Two of mine are. We start with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, number five. Right, I'm just going to say now, that's my number four, so we can both talk about it Lovely, okay. Um, I didn't expect it. Again, I listened to the preview of last year, when we recorded that last year. And I was like, I'm interested, if not intrigued, mm. um, because I, 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 I'm still not 100% sold on the animation style. Mm. I think in some scenes it works really well, in some it doesn't. But this is probably the most I've laughed at a movie all year. <laughs> yeah. It just constantly... Now don't get me wrong, it's not telling like amazing jokes, have you like, like clutching your side with me, mm. but the... The ratio of them, the kind of speed they hit you with them. It's that Lego movie pace. And obviously, yeah. Lord and Miller being yeah. the main guys on this movie makes a lot of sense. It does. It just peppers you with them constantly. And it feels like I don't... What was this thing? I went in there thinking, I know enough about Spider-Man that I'm going to get a lot of the jokes and, and be chill with them. And I went with Rachel, who doesn't have that knowledge. And she enjoyed just as much as I did. So I, I was worried that maybe... I, I had the same problem with Ready Player One. I'm like... Am I just getting this because I know what the book is and I already know what the plot is and I'm filling in holes and I don't know I am? But no, she enjoyed it just as much as I did. It's a great first run out for Miles Morales. I uh, like that they don't kind of... They have Peter Parker there, but it's not your mama's Peter Parker. It's not. And he's very much the second fiddle. You don't ever lose sight of the fact that this is Miles Morales' movie. Well, you get two Peter Parkers in the space of half an hour. Yeah. Which is interesting. And I was a bit disappointed because I found out later that Chris Pine played the blonde-haired yeah. one. <laughs> I did. I was hoping it was going to be Tobey Maguire because that would have been the best. They, he clearly is the Tobey Maguire version, mm. although he is fighting a big giant monster green goblin, which well, doesn't that, make well, sense. It's based on the ultimate one, isn't it? Yes. So it makes it a lot is, of sense. Yes. Which is why we have Mars Morales, who's played by Shamik Moore, who I am definitely interested in seeing mm. in more movies, or at least in more voice it's roles. A great job. But the, our actual Spider-Man, our Peter B. Parker, yeah. uh, is Jake Johnson. So good. <laughs> He's got a lot 
of um, a lot of comedy under his belt already being in New Girl and yeah. really translated well into this movie. Like he's not a traditional Peter Parker in MJ Fun because he's like thirty seven and over it all. <laughs> yeah. So th- th- there's that, but I think that helps that he's the the Tagalung isn't just. Your garden variety normal Peter Parker is a bit of a nerd. Exactly, it's kind of the loser Peter Parker. Yeah, the Peter Parker in sweatpants. Yeah, I, I like that. That's the, oh, the yeah. spin we're doing on it. Yeah, and it, there's literally no level of this movie I find there's a weakness. The action scenes really good. Mm. Like I said, when the animation does work, it worked really well to kind of highlight when he falls down. It goes ah. ah. When he goes, it goes woo. Well, they do that whole style, don't they? The, the, the animation is that kind of jittery kind of style because mm. you're meant to be able to pause the movie at any point and it will look like a comic book panel. Yeah. And they get that right down to the point of that there's this weird filter over the entire thing mm. that is those pop art dots. Yeah. And like it does take a couple of seconds for that to kind of adjust to your eyes because to begin with, you think, oh, fuck, I'm in the 3D version I need to go yeah. I need to go into the next screen over because the colours also sort of like start to bleed into separate yeah. at the corners of the mm. it's just such an interesting and unique presentational it style. Is. And of course, what is a movie without oh my god sorry, can we just talk about the absolute unit that is Kingpin, I've just remembered. Right. Whenever Kingpin's on screen <laughs> These heads halfway down his chest like cranked <laughs> And like, yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, also, it's um, Leave Schreiber, otherwise known as Sabretooth. Sabretooth doing his best Joe Pesci impression. Yeah. And it works so well. It does. It, it's it, so it, this thing, there's no weak point in any of this. I thought Spider Ham would annoy me. I was like, that may be a bridge too far. Mm. Not at all. But it bleeds perfectly because it's supposed to have that kind of dissonance between the characters. Yeah. Nick Cage's Spider Noir is Such a an... stroke of fucking genius. Yeah, it is. Uh, who plays Spider Gwen? Uh, that's Hayley Steinfeld. Uh, you can see her oh, in Bumblebee. Yes, I haven't watched Bumblebee. I haven't seen Bumblebee yeah. yet. Apparently, it's good. But I it's got Big Match John. Of course, it's going to be good. Um, <laughs> yeah, she she does a really good. Everyone does a really good job. There's mm. no like I said. There's no weak point in all of this. I liked um, Catherine Hahn as uh, the female Doctor Octopus. Um, yeah, I believe that's who it is. Let me yes. just double check. Yes, Catherine Hahn. There we go. Um, yeah, um, Olivia Octavius. That was. Yeah, I didn't see it coming in, though. It's really obvious, and I should have seen it coming. Yeah, it was good, though. It was really that good. That entire escape sequence is yeah. phenomenal. And he just leaves the just door open. Get a bagel? Yeah. <laughs> and it leaves the door open to so many good opportunities in the future for sequels. Like, even the post. Did you see the post credit scene? Oh, my God, I did. Oh, that, yeah. I was already sold, and that was like, right, this is going high on the Gets list. Gets me. Yeah. I don't get how this got patched the pitch. Point. Yeah. Because some mad bastard had to go in there and say, right, basically, we're going to spunk all the alternative versions of Spider-Man that we have in one movie where they're all together. Yep. And most of the audience will not know the main character for a kickoff. Because, I mean, outside of, like, comic nerds, no one knows who Miles Morales is. No. Um, Although now, there's no denying that this is a such a viable and deep character that I think yes. if we don't get a sequel, or if we don't get a Miles Morales in a live action... Yeah. I think this is opportunity squandered. It's held onto the top spot for two weeks in America. Everyone's raving about it. It's getting a sequel. Yeah. Be good. Um, but no one's going to know who Spider-Man Noir is. No. Even I don't know who the um, the animated... Um, oh, with S-P-R-D. The, the yes. robot. Yeah, yeah. Created by Gerard Way. Who knew? Okay. Um, who turns out has actually done a lot in comic books that I did not know about. There we are. Um, yeah, it was Surprise of the Year by a country mile did not expect it to work as well as it did but I'm very excited for a can sequel we, can we talk about that post sequence of course we can Oscar Isaac's playing Miguel O'Hara yes 
And then the <laughs> this literally is like, right, this entire sequence, we'll get, we're going to get one of the guys from Lonely Island to play Spider-Man 69. Yep. And we're going to meme the shit out of the last minute. I know. Okay. I know. <laughs> big thumbs up. Yeah, big brass balls to even just give this a go the absolute mad lads yeah I know <laughs> oh damn it oh, I'm so annoyed they got kicked off a solo now. I know <laughs> who knows what could have happened it could have been amazing it could have been but we did get to say the line we did get to say the line we did uh, Magma number five number five was Coco ooh okay this held on from very very early on into mm. the year and I'm glad that it did I, I, I thought maybe at, at one point it was like this might not stay on the list yeah but I was, you know, lucky enough to to get a, you know, it won an Oscar for Best Original Song for Remember Me. And it was that kind of point where I was like, this this is going to get, this is going to claw on. This is staying on the list. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad it did. It's probably the best emotional storyline presented in a Disney movie, I'd say, since Wally. Okay. Oh, but it is, like it's different from Wally in the sense that whilst that was a, because it's good. It means good. It's not mostly like a non-verbal story, yeah. really. Whereas in Coco, it's very much a sort of like an exploration of family and 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 the macabre sides of death, yeah. but also the wondrous sides of mm. the Day of the Dead inspired um, sort of like Mexican art yeah, in the world, yeah. which I really really enjoyed. Oh, so good. I, I, there was just such a charm to this film. Mm-hmm. Every single bit of it was just so either heartwarming or heartbreaking in the sense of it being so relatable. Yeah. Like, not to the, po- not to the point of um, Professor X having dementia, like, heartbreaking. Yeah, just like... But, you know, the, the ailing grandmother who yeah. doesn't, oh, mm. doesn't quite remember everything, but then he goes on this, you know, afterlife yeah. quest, finds out about his heritage, and just that art style. I, I could watch something in that art style... All day all, long. All day long, every day of the week. Everything was so rich. The story was was really, really interesting. The characters, like the, um, Hector, the the main character, yes. our, our, our skeleton friend, yes. is pos- possibly one of the best comedic characters of the entire thing. Yeah. And then you have to force him through watching an old man, an old spirit, get got getting forgotten, oh, which yeah. is the Death's World version of death. Yeah, double death. Like, oh, God, like... The, they add peril in a movie that is supposed to... That is already perilous because yeah. the main character has died. Yeah. Ah. Um, and then adding peril on top of that, it's genius. It's absolutely genius. I, it is. It's a wonderful film. It, it, it's one of those films that it's very hard to break down exactly why I love it. Mm. But it's very easy to go, you will have a good time watching it. You will hear me attempt to do this in a moment. Yes. Um. Okay. Number four. Which we already know, my number four is yeah. Spider Man. So, oh, why, your number why four, you Darren. That? Turn your poop. <laughs> um, oh, now, I might get a kick in for this one. Okay. But you haven't mentioned it yet. Right. Which makes me suspicious of it. Number four, I've gone with Solo, a Star Wars story. Oh, fair enough. I rewatched it the other day and was like, I really like this. And not in an ironic way. Like, it's not Rogue One. No. It isn't. And I, I really do like Rogue One. I've retroactively like it more and more and more mm. but like the people come out saying well it's the death of the Star Wars spin-off and I don't want any more because this is poop I don't get it no I really don't get the hate it's not it. a trash fire no not it's not slightly, groundbreaking considering not how much it could have been a trash fire mm. and all the things it had going wrong with it um, having the 
directors kicked off, having Alden Ehrreich apparently not being able to act. Mm. Uh, and as I said in their review, we kind of we have already covered this in one of our few reviews this year. We did get Solo done. Alden Ehrreich is really good in this. Mm. Like I like him even more the second time round because he's doing he is doing a Harrison Ford impression, but it's nuanced and different enough that you can see a through line without just being like a an impersonation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, he's got a lot of quirks. It still needs to get worked out. The, the later, when we first meet Han Solo in, in New Hope, he's still working out. It's funny in parts, which is a rare thing for a Star Wars movie. There is not enough good things can be said about Lando. Um, he has a cape room, for fuck's sake. <laughs> the, yeah. the only things that I don't like about it is mm. you can kind of telegraph that Woody Harrelson's going to turn heel from day one. Yeah. That was an inevitability. Uh, and they drag it out as long as possible. There's that. Um, Amelia Clark still not great actress. No, it's not really not good. She could have tanked the whole thing because she's just a vacuum of anti charisma. Um, and what was the other problem that Darren had? Oh, L three being the the woke droid thing. Yeah, um, mm. I wasn't really behind that. No, not at, at all. any point, which is a shame because I do like Phoebe Waller Bridge as yeah. an actress. I think. I mean, Fleabag is a brilliant series. I need to watch that. It's really really good. I, I just, it felt like the one big thing they couldn't work, like, get out of the movie that Lord and Miller clearly insisted on. Yeah. It, she's so jarring. She's clearly, clearly from the first draft. I feel like maybe it was more of a parody in the Lord and Miller draft, and that now it's been taken quite seriously in yeah. the Ron Howard draft. Oh, it's not like, Rogue One's biggest strength is, like, no other Star Wars movie. Yeah. You can't say this one about this. No. It's probably the most, I don't want to say pointless but it's the the it has the least in, it has the least important stakes in any Star Wars movie. Yeah, because you know exactly who gets out alive. Basically. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Um, and the Darth Maul cameo, unfortunately, there means nothing because we're clearly not getting a sequel to this. No, nope. ain't happening. Um, we might not be getting any more spin-offs for a while. I still think them saying we're going to cancel them all is bullshit. They must no. still be working out. They're going to probably try their hand at the Mandalorian and then see what happens from there. Oh, well, excited for that. That should be good. Oh my god, they've got um. Oh, God, they've got the Red Viper as yeah. the main character. Yay! <laughs> um, I mean, he was in Kingsman 2 as well, and that didn't work out too mm. well. But he's still the Red Viper. He's still cool. Um, Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal! Yeah. Uh, interesting directors on that. Uh, I think Tiger Waititi is doing one. Oh, that'll be cool. Yeah. And they've got Bryce Dallas Howard doing another one. Sweet. So you can say, Lady Howard, you've done Do it again. again. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's probably my most out there pick. I didn't think Solo would be this high, but here we are. Ah, good stuff. So are we on to number three now? Because bronze medal positions, man. Bronze medal. Um, I was surprised that Spider-Man didn't break this top three. Mm. He, but he landed at, uh, at number four purely because Black Klansman has to be okay. in a medal position. I get that. I think in terms... This is, this is, this is my girlfriend's favourite movie of the year. Mm. And it's quite easy to see why. It's a film that deals with quite heavy subjects and quite nasty sort of tones and language, but yeah. does it with such style and grace. It, it's all, it's just all, but everything's fantastic. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack alone, I think would have put it up here. Yeah. It is such like in, in the, in the ways that other movies feel dated or feel like they're trying to claw at a nostalgia. This one just bleeds into its own style. It yeah. just oozes this kind of the soul, literally the soul music and the soul yep. of the communities that are involved in this movie. Uh, John David Washington, who I did not know was uh, Denzel Washington's yeah, son. Yeah, same. Just complete, like, purposefully, I think, that there was a... there was a, a Because there was no opening credits no. for this. And very much, I, I think it was a, a point from John David Washington to be like, 
I'm my own person. I don't have to be compared well, to yeah, He was an American football star for a while. I don't think he ever got like to like the heights or anything. And then he got cast in Ballers because of that. Yeah. And The Rock turned him into a good actor, apparently. <laughs> so thanks, Rock. Yeah. Right, Dwayne The Rock Johnson breaking the... Uh, he isn't the in talent. my top ten this year. I don't think that's ever happened before. Oh, He's usually God. scraped in a little bit yeah. somewhere, but well, okay. Well, you know, between Rampage and Skyscraper. I saw neither of them. They may have been basically starred in the same film five times. Yeah, did yeah. <laughs> But yeah, um, I really want... So the guy who played Ron Stahl with John David Washington is mm. fantastic. I enjoyed the kind of... The straight-laced... Not, not cynicism, but there is a kind of like, this is what I'm here to do, but yeah. I am going to enjoy it whilst I'm here. Yeah. And kind of, I'm going to poke fun at the at the guys who hate the blacks, which yep. is not not a cool thing. Adam Driver, this is one of his best performances. Yep, as, as Flip Zimmerman, which mm-hmm. I enjoyed. Um, and it's kind of like, although it's not the same kind of things, they do have equal footings in terms of the stakes here. Yep. These characters feel like they should be partnered together, yeah, and they should be playing off one another. His scene where he's getting interrogated about being a Jew. Mm. Is genius. Yeah. Like the whole, like, <laughs> it's like, you Jewish, show me your dick. You want to see my dick? What are you, gay? <laughs> Using the the bigotry of the KKK against, against them, them yeah. is so beautiful. A couple of people who I haven't seen in other stuff, but I did want to give a shout out to mm. were uh, Jasper Pakunan, I think I'm pronouncing that mm-hmm. right, who played Felix, who was the leader of that chapter. Yeah. Was, it's, it's the kind of cool evil that I think could make him a big villain star in Hollywood yep. going forward. Mm-hmm. And Ryan Eggold, who played Walter, who was really unhinged. The, the guy who was interrogating. Oh, right. The crazy one, yeah. Yeah. There is there is roles for that character going forward. Yes, I, th- I think Ryan Eggold will probably end up doing like a Far Cry game as one of the, oh, God, the yeah. villains. Easily. Because that's, that could be a beautiful pairing for those characters. Mm-hmm. And of course, I've got to talk about Laura Harrier, who played Patrice. The kind of... The not the echoes of wokeness, but yeah. but that kind of through line of this. These are the rules that I live by. This is the reason I am an activist. At no point during that movie, did I realised it was uh, her from Spider-Man: Homecoming. Yeah, who knew? No, no idea. Knew. But it was just so good. Mm. The right level of commentary, the right level of humour, the right level of action. I didn't expect a big action sequence in this. Yeah. But that end that end bit. And again, there's a lot the thing that I've enjoyed about movies this year is making small stakes seem huge. Yeah. So it's just a fat woman dropping off a letter bomb. Yeah. But they've made it seem like the most important goddamn thing happening at that moment. There's there's something going right mm-hmm. in the writers' rooms in Hollywood. Black Landsman at number three. I did like that the final shot of them kind of floating down the corridor and then <laughs> yeah. seeing the burning cross. By the way, you play Red Dead, right? I have. Have you found the clan in Red Dead yet? Yeah, they're fucking inept oh, and I love God, them. Oh, God, it's beautiful. <laughs> like, yeah, everyone... They accidentally burned three of their members when I... I just didn't get involved but I was like, the fuck is Most that? people I talk to just immediately shoot them Yeah, and I was like, no, I want to see this happen. So yeah, they burn themselves to death on their own cross yeah. and you find them a second time that's like five of them and the cross crushes three of them. <laughs> yeah. And then you shoot me in the dick. <laughs> I shot the leader of them as well. Yeah, in the- After the cross fell over, I was like, oh, come You've on. seen the meme of, like, expertly taking out three enemies with headshots, with, and it's like him looking a bit grumpy. <laughs> expertly <laughs> using dead eye to shoot a guy 12 times in the dick. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Right, okay. Uh, My bronze medal goes to Coco. Yay! Um, Pixar's back, baby. I know. None of these brave Cars 3 shite no more. They're back. Um, I echo everything you said about Coco. I like that... Disney did not have the, the minerals to take on death. No. Like, they do it like, Bambi's mother's dead, and that's the end of it. I like that Pixar kind of went about it a different way to show it as, like, it's just part two of the journey. Mm. 
and kind of, you know, because there's a lot of kids who are going to have to deal with death at some point. Yeah. And maybe you could say this is a bit of like, you know, dealing with, with like kind of, you know, gloves on, like... There are elements of a Big Hero 6 rehash in the whole death of a loved one sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. But I think Coco genuinely does it better than Big Hero 6. And I still love Big Hero 6, mm. but Coco does it better. Yeah, like the visual start again... Any point that's slow, you can just sit back and just watch mm. the amazing. So it's the best animated movie in terms of, like the pure animation ever. Yeah, nothing touches this goddamn thing. Um, I just love the whole the, the 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 visual wonder that is the bit with Frida Kahlo. That's yes, so good. Yes, so I didn't know she was a real person. Really, did not know that until I went and looked <laughs> afterwards. Um, best soundtrack of the year, mm. easily. There's all the songs are good. Every single one of them. Um, yeah, the bit where the, the skeleton dies. Like, oh no. Yeah. Oh god, that's that genuinely too. harrowing. Ah. Um, I like that it, it kind of, in a kid friendly way, it doesn't shy away from death, but it kind of makes it. I feel like there's, there could be a lot of kids, this kind of takes the edge off a little bit. Mm. Yes, it might be a bit make believe, depending on your religious system, but yeah. to think that they all of your loved ones are still there, they're still thinking of you, it's all great. Oh, no, the, the reason it made it this high is it got an emotional reaction out of me that nothing has done. End of. For 10 years, Michael. Is it when the kid plays the guitar song? Yes. Yeah. When oh she plays Remember God. Me to, her, to His Nan. It made me cry. Yeah. I will point out, I've been going out with Rachel for three years now. She's never seen me cry. And I have not cried for well over 10 years before this point. Mm. And I wasn't like... <laughs> But one little rascal got down and was like, what are you doing? It's a kid's movie, you idiot. No. Oh, God, stop. Um, And that has to say everything. But also, on the other hand, giant multicolored parrot dragon. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Parrot tiger dragon. (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) All of this. And the dog getting, like, goofy colours at the end. And flying. Oh, it's so good. That dog is probably one of the best characters. So happy Pixar's back. (laughs) <laughs> the whole tongue. Yes! Dog. The oh, keg-cocked dog. I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. It was, was sitting at number one for the early part of the year. Two movies have now knocked it down, but it was never going to be outside the top three. No, it had to claw on. It was it just did. such a good film. Right, number two. Um, I will go first. And here, I told you that it was coming earlier mm. on in the show. Yes. And this is where Three Billboards makes it in. Oh, wow! I really loved Three Billboards. Okay. It was... It's one of those films that I think it didn't need the hype behind it. It didn't need the Francis McDormand is the best thing since life's but It didn't yeah. need any of this to still be good. Yeah. What I think it does right, and yeah, there are elements of the movie where the comedy does bleed in or goes on a little bit too long. Like, Woody Harrelson's letters do not fucking stop. No. But it's that right kind of... And maybe it's more of a personal reaction at the whole, the, the way you deal with grief. If it, if it is with humour or if it is with contemplation, mm-hmm. both of these, both of these approaches appear in the movie. Um, so you've got the sort of the vilification of Francis McDormand's character of Mildred Hayes, who is, I'm, so, I'm sorry, she did deserve that Best Actress Oscar. Yeah. She absolutely did. 100%. From beat one, you knew where that character was and where they were going. Yep. The big surprises, though, were Sam Rockwell as uh, Officer yeah. Dixon, who goes on a real journey in that film. He mm-hmm. is a different character by the time that film closes. Yep. And although there are events that happen either side of this film, before its opening and after its ending, mm. that would involve all of these characters, it still feels complete. It still feels like we had a beginning, middle and end here. Yeah. 
but there's so much more to explore and I love that it's it does that thing in movie movie making is that if this is not the most important thing happening in your characters' lives, why aren't you showing it? Yeah. So it does it focuses on these key characters in the movie. You got Mildred and uh, Agent Dixon, and yeah, Pete Dinklage is in the movie. Yes. As who has one like one of the more tragic storylines? Yeah. Even compared to the woman who's lost her daughter in an unsolved rape murder case. Yeah. The whole, the dwarf being an outcast and then finally getting to go on a date on the woman who he only wants to be happy. Yeah. But she's so vilified in her want, in wanting to break down the establishment of the police force that he gets totally shunned. And yeah. that made me sad. <laughs> I got sad about Peter Dinklage not getting a date with Francis McDormand <laughs> in the movie sentence. where it's about the rape murder yeah. case. Uh, Woody Harrelson's character is one of those confusing yeah. aspects of the movie, but he's still really really mm-hmm. good um but the the big one that that really drew it home to me is that the subject is macabre i understand that the yeah. subject is it's not pretty grisly it is grisly mm. but there is a kind of poetic movement as the characters start off with prejudices and hatreds that then shift and move yeah uh, as they grow as people as they grow as characters as the story pushes them forward no more so than than Francis and Dixon. Mm-hmm. So when does that kind of what would you call it? Isn't it's not a heel turn? It's a face turn. Face turn. A face turn well of Agent Dixon's character yes. as he finally stops being the layabout racist cop mm-hmm. and becomes the detective that you want. You know he has the capacity to be, and yet still you don't like him. Yeah. And then you you start off on the side of Francis McDormand's character and by the end of it you're like I still agree with you but you're a dick as well. Yeah. There's something so beautifully human about that and I think that no other movie has done it as good as this one. In a in a year when we've had Coco discussing death, in a year when we've had Black Klansman talking about racial divides, yeah. in a year that we have uh, Shape of Water talking about people feeling like monsters and fish sex and fish sex. There is nothing that's more grounding than the real life traumas of, you know, murder and cancer. Yep. And they don't handle either of those things with kid gloves. No. It's like, it's not just this character is sad because this is like, this is the ripple effect it has on the family, the community, the world at large when they do the TV reports. Mm -hmm. I was really, really moved. I think it's the closest I've come to crying in a movie since Toy Story 3 okay I tend not to cry at movies but I I could have with this but I was just in awe at the performance I see I really just I didn't engage with it as much as I think everyone else did I get it I mean I know I'm not disagreeing with anything you said it just it just didn't hit me as 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 hard as that unfortunately maybe I'm just a philistine um Maybe I'm just a you know a caveman who doesn't like such Oscar movies, but there we are. Um, well, bearing in mind that both of our worst movies were Oscar movies, I think they were. That tells you a little bit about where you stand. And, and we're about to. Um, well, everyone probably knows what number one is. But, but what's your number two? Dan? Well, number two is The Incredibles two. Oh, fair play. Pixar is back, baby. <laughs> one two punch. Um, it's a very strange thing that again. In 2018 being, right, we're going to confront our problems in society, that it was The Incredibles 2 that went with outdated gender roles. <laughs> a strange plot for a superhero movie, but it really works. Obviously, they empower Elastigirl to be like the face of the superhero revival that um, 
that. Oh my god, what's his name? Better call Saul Guy. Um, oh god. Uh, the Saul that, Goodman. That guy. Yeah, he does the voice for, um, oh my god, what's his name? That's going to wind me up. He does the voice for the guy who's trying to, like, rebuild superheroes. Mm. Um, and and they kind of put her front and centre. Now, this is good because we've seen a lot of superhero movies do, like, big strong person punch. And a lot of the first Incredibles is that. But this means that you get to see all of Elastigirl's powers on show. It's really good. You get to see, on the opposite side of that, you get to see Bob Parr try and be dad. And it's not working for him. That's where the comedy comes from. It's him just trying to desperately... You know, keep his family together because uh, Violet's going through uh, puberty. Uh, Dash doesn't really do a lot of bad things. Dash is just funny in general. Mm. And then we get Jack-Jack, the whole subplot there of Jack-Jack's now got all the powers. Mm. Uh, and Bob Parr trying to, like... He's really excited about it initially, but then he gets terrified. <laughs> um, you get the... Oh, there's a great scene with Edna Mode. She's not in it as much as I thought she was going to be. I thought we'd just be like... Everyone knows they love Edna Mode. I thought they were going to batter us over the head with it. Yeah. She's in one scene, basically. But it's still hilarious. Mm. Um, and again, the action scenes are just fantastic. Other than what's number one, this beats out every other superhero movie this year by a country mile. Just because mm. it's animated, they can do whatever the hell they want. Um, it's funny, it's endearing. My favourite scene is actually the first one, because it's all the pars working together to try and to stop uh, the Underminer. Because it literally starts the second the first movie finishes. Ah. It's so good. I know you haven't watched it. Please do go out of your way to watch this. It's exactly the kind of sequel. I mean... Because I liked Finding Dory, but it felt like it was just a sequel they had to do, and yeah. it was the best idea they had. They were clearly saving this one until they had something to properly do with it. The kind of the villain twist at the end is probably its weakest link, mm. which stopped it. It was never going to be number one, unfortunately, but that's the only thing that really lets it down. Yeah. And even then, that's only a very, very mild thing at the end. Um, so yeah if you haven't please do like Pixar this is the best one two punch we've had all year from a studio they knocked both of their movies out of the park I'm back on board with them now I'm not as worried about Toy Story 4 as I was originally Mm. I still feel it's very unnecessary yeah we reached the end with three I don't know where is left to go but apparently um, I mean the the reports from the people who are making it apparently Tom Hanks said that it's utterly heart-wrenching and he couldn't look at the production staff talking to doing his lines exactly for Woody so oh god I'm not ready we'll think if it was like up brave cars for a good dinosaur Pixar tackling this panic if it's Coco and Incredibles oh, 2 Pixar like no I have taped it I'm going to give it a second go but if it's Coco and Incredibles 2 level Pixar I think we're in safe hands fair enough and now for the inevitability yep Everyone knows that this was going to happen, so let's say it together, Darren. On three. One, two, two three. three. Avengers Infinity War! Because we're predictable. We've never had a non-Marvel or Star Wars movie win the best movie of the year. <laughs> it's award. always been Marvel It's always been one of, the other, one of the other. But when it's this good... And next year we've got Avengers Endgame, Endgame and Episode Nine, so we're oh. probably not breaking that trend. But yes, oh my God. The brass balls <laughs> on <laughs> Disney... To even think this is a good idea, yeah. let alone let them say, yep, kill off half the universe, please. Yeah, just like, let the bad guy win. That's the movie. The oh. only bad thing I have to say about this movie is not to do with this movie. Mm. It's that Disney can't help us but show, oh, don't worry, we're getting a Black Panther sequel. Here's Tom Holland flipping around on Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. Because yeah. like, those movies are going to make a fuck ton of money. Did we have to show anything? Keep it as under wraps as you can. Yeah. People are going to find out. So that's fine. Yeah. Don't be public about it because then it kind of ruins the ending of this. The kind of big, oh fuck, 
and that's the thing. I think a lot of people might think, well, it's just because it created like a cultural phenomenon of the click thing, mm. right? It's not that. Like you compare this to Age of Ultron, which is now an even lesser movie by comparison. It's night and day, isn't it? It it's is just it's everything about the team up movie that should be done was done in Avengers Infinity War. It's got all the charm of the first Avengers back. Mm. Is that it's mainstream for his character relationship. Yes, yes it's not. Because, I mean, there's a lot less going on in that first movie by comparison. Crazy to think that we now think Avengers wasn't a busy movie. <laughs> yeah. And you, maybe you don't get enough quality time with all the relationships you want to do, but that's because there's 40 of them, not six. <laughs> yeah. It still gets time and makes sure there's time for good character motivations, good character development. Um, the fact that we've spent all the years since... Picking apart every part of this movie. Yeah. Not just, well, Thanos was cool, wasn't it? Or that action scene was cool. It's like, was Star-Lord to blame for everything? Yes. Um, <laughs> what's happened to Gamora? Where do we go? What, where do all the people go? How are we going to fix this problem, etc.? That's what I really liked about the trailer for Endgame, is that nothing is answered. No. It's not even remotely hinting at how this is going to get mm. unfucked. Exactly. Because right now, it is fucked. It is bad. <laughs> Look what you've done to Hawkeye. He's gone black. Oh, no. Hang on. Uh, no, I mean that in a positive way. He's rounding now. Yeah. Um, it's... Oh, I, we could probably rattle on for a good another four hours at this point of how much I like this movie. But... Audiences agree. Yeah. Like, this is the thing. It's not one of those things that's like, but we're the nerds and obviously we're going to love it. They, like you like you said in the original uh, review, not, we're not operating on the four quadrant movie anymore. We're, no. We're, we're like septupled it. It's like, exactly. We are on the hundred quadrant movie and it's still hitting every single scene mm-hmm. out of the goddamn park. Every single scene. Every character's got a memorable moment or a memorable line. Every action sequence feels weighty, important. And yet it still finds time to be funny. It does. It's not laugh a minute like Avengers or Ant-Man or one of the comedy ones are, but it still finds time to get good jokes in there. And considering how much they have to balance, the fact it even has jokes is amazing, get along that they're funny. Everyone gets a moment to shine, like you said. The action scenes, the end fight in Wakanda, oh, ridiculously good. And you've seen that we've like the, the, the Iron Man side of things is more character stuff. Yes, it's still a very good action scene, but they're giving you both sides of the coin. Mm. It's got all the best bits of Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi rolled into one. Multiple point finishes where it's like, oh, there's so much going on, but it's all very interesting. And like, it actually does a dark ending. Mm. And not that kind of like half-arsed, oh, we're getting grim for the sake of grim. Like, it feels like... I mean, even then, the end of Empire Strikes Back is, oh, no, they've got a second Death Star and your favourite character's like concrete now. And, not and half Luke of, has one hand. Yeah, not half of everyone is dead. Including the main cast. I got yeah, exactly. I'm just it's burning to my eye socket. The like the size of Captain America, the most positive man in the fucking universe, going, oh god, <laughs> yeah, oh god, and uh, like in what has been a banner year for Spider Man. Well, I yeah. think probably the best years out there for Spider Man. Yep. Fucking Tom Holland's oh. death scene is still one of the most heart wrenching things I, I think I've seen. Just the I'm sorry before fading away is just, oh God, Tom, please don't do this. This is, this has come from the same company that was, you know, turfing out shite, like, you know, home on the range. Enchanted. Enchanted and all that other bollocks. And now they've just killed off half of the most lucrative franchise out there at the minute. And people are like, yes! Yes, I'm excited (laughs) for this. And the trailer for their big blockbuster tentpole movie, well, one of the two they have next yeah. year. I think we're going to have to invent a new word. 
Avengers films and Star Wars movies have gone above blockbuster now. They're on a different plane of existence. You have to call it like international event cinema or something right, like exactly. that. Because it's just ridiculous. And the trailer was all sadness until Ant-Man turns up at the end. <laughs> yeah. It's just all, oh God, no, it's not getting better, yeah. children. Here's oh, Tony no. Stark suffocating to death on, the, <laughs> on, on Milana. Like, oh no. Here's Captain America going, don't know what to do. <laughs> don't have a plan. Here's, here's, here's Paul Rudd. <laughs> He's happy family man uh, Jeremy Renner murdering people in Hong Kong. <laughs> oh God, what's happened? Yeah, it's it was it was always going to be an event. It was always going to be a major thing. But the fact it's just good. We haven't even mentioned that Thanos is like the best villain. Period. Period. Just period. Yeah. yeah. The it, the best kind of villains are the ones that you understand. And my God, they go out of their way to make sure that yeah. Thanos is completely realised. Thanos is the main character. Yeah. You spend the most time with him. You get his mo- most of his motivations. You get crystal clear. You know exactly why he's doing what he's doing. They could have called this movie Thanos Infinity War. Yeah. And the next one, Avengers Infinity War. And it would have been fine. It would have. Oh. And again, it's a lot of super movies these, these days are very guilty of setting up the sequel at the cost of the current movie. Mm. You can levy that. So even some MCU movies, you can levy that against. Yeah. Not this one. No. Even taken as a whole. And yet it has basically a non-ending because it has to have a part two, basically. I still don't feel cheaped out at any point. No. We had ridiculously good action scenes, really good character motivations, funny, all the things we've just said, and there's more to come in, the, in what, four months' time? Yeah, the fact that this is a part one and we're still reeling from the effects, we're still like, fucking hell. And, and it was like eight months ago. Yeah. And we're still like, fuck. <laughs> It, it's it's one of those films that I just feel like there will be unless Endgame is somehow more triumphant. Yeah, I think I think Infinity War is going to be the absolute peak of this franchise. Yeah, purely because, like you say, it takes every single possible risk and doesn't come out worse for any of it. Yeah, it is it is the movie that cannot fail. So Endgame has got a huge task in its hands now to one up this or form some kind of conclusion yeah to this in, like incredible low part of what is a movie that only has a first and second act yeah really thinking about it so the entire movie coming up that's three hours long apparently is all third act christ oh oh three hours might be a bit much that's the last report is that like it says the current cut is three hours Ooh, they're gonna they're gonna have to chop some stuff Disney is not having a three hour movie they would be smart to make it the only movie Marvel movie released next year it's not the case but you'd be smart to go like <laughs> yeah. this is the fucking end the next story is different like, yeah we've got at least two yeah I mean at least Captain Marvel's gonna have some breathing room you know new characters set beforehand coming out before uh, Avengers does mm. clearly gonna tie in because of the post credit scene I was a little bit worried for Spider-Man. I'm like... But I think that'll be the first, like, Happy Days Are Here Again movie. Yeah. Like, all the dread has gone. (laughs) Who knows what we're going to be like at the end of Endgame. But, you know, here's Spider-Man. He's doing quips and he's got Mysterio. Woo! Oh, Um, Mysterio. Yes. Right. Well, you can hear about all of that in our 2019 preview episode, which we'll be recording shortly. But that is going to do it for the top 10 movies of this year. As I said, there will be written versions available on the site as well. And you can go and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and SoundCloud under the username FoulENT. That's F-O-U-L-E-N-T. You can go and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at that Mike Owen. And you can go and follow Darren on Instagram at, at DazzleG still. Uh, I'm at DazzleG on Instagram at TheGutridge on Twitter. That's lovely. Well, thank you very much for listening. I know we've been away for a very long while and this is 
uh, nearly, a, well, it's going to be a two hour episode by the time we're done. Um, but we usually review like 30 movies in one sitting. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think it's okay. We've been away a long time and we do have a plan for, for what's coming up going forward. Um, but you'll hear more about that in a future episode. But for now, thank you very much for listening and bye-bye. Bye. Bye.